explicit songs. Mommy's here, daddy's gone. Broken promises, gin and rye. All the mean and hurtful things that made baby Jesus cry. Hello and welcome to Movies with Gravy, normally a podcast where we discuss an under-the-radar new release and the films we believe inspired it. I'm Billy Ray Bruton, your host and antagonist for the next, well, however long we're here. Today is a super special show, part of our series of 2020 recap roundtables. On the last roundtable, we discussed the best horror films of 2020, but for this one, we're ditching the scares for some good old-fashioned nonfiction storytelling with the best documentaries of 2020. And joining us today are three phenomenally appropriate folks to dive into this topic. First up, he's a short documentary filmmaker whose works have screened at over 80 international film festivals, whose film One Year Lease won Best Documentary Short at the Tribeca Film Festival, and whose latest film, Departing Gesture, won the Grand Jury Prize at the Florida Film Festival, Brian Bolster. Brian, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Up next, she's a filmmaker, a former programmer for the Bentonville Film Festival, and a long-standing documentary programmer for the Slamdance Film Festival. And before COVID hit, we were working on a film festival together, Summer Garber. Good to see you again. It's been a while. Yes. <laughs> and finally, she is currently the senior programmer for Film Independent and the nominations manager for the Film Independent Spirit Awards, and formerly a programmer for LA Film Fest, AFI Docs, Outfest, and more, Jen Wilson. Jen. Hi. Hi. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Welcome, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining me for this uh, deep dive into a weird fucking year for Docs. <laughs> um, I'm curious. Uh, I will start with you, Brian. Uh, how do you think COVID shaped the 2020 movie year for Docs in general? Everything was online. <laughs> it's too bad. The whole theatrical um, experience is uh, uh, pretty much out of the picture, I guess you could say. Uh, but you know what? The, the thing is, is it made it, I think, really more accessible to a lot more people, which is really nice. I think your audience is much larger. And maybe like um, we can all learn something from that. Because I, I always say you want more eyes on your 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 work than anything else. And sometimes for docs, theatrical can be tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Summer, yeah, what so you, I think what... COVID was a, a blessing in disguise in many ways. It had its, you know, it's unfortunate Ooh. you can't have that theatrical experience, but again, lots more people have access uh, to see stuff and hopefully our lists will drive people to uh, go onto Hulu, Amazon Prime. <laughs> I mean, Netflix. if it if it doesn't, we're failures. Yes, <laughs> we've all failed. Summer, what did you think about this year for Docs? I mean, it was a really good year for series, especially docu series. I think like Tiger King kicked this off. I keep saying like I want to go back to the Tiger King stimulus check phase of this pandemic. Um, <laughs> those were the days. Uh, and so, generally, I thought it was a really strong year for features too. And programming slam dance, which Brian is my co-captain um, for that committee, our submissions were stronger than we've ever gotten. And I was really worried about submissions this year. So um, in terms of what was released online and widely and what we were seeing um, submitted that has yet to be released, I, was, I thought it was a pretty strong year, surprisingly. It, I think it's forced people to get creative in a lot of ways, um, which is always good. Very true. 
Yeah, I think um, it, uh, if you can't come out of this like reinventing yourself somehow, I think, you know, that's one of the p benefits also of COVID, I thought, like creatively, you know, and also if you're developing something now is the time as well. Yeah. Jen, what about you? Uh, you know, I, I echo what, what Summer said about, you know, having fears or uh, just not really knowing what to expect. Uh, um, and I worked the Spirit Awards um, submissions and nominations process. So we were prepared to get way less submissions. And, and it turned out um, we got way more in every category, including docs. And there's just a massive amount of docs these days compared to when I first started that process so much that we have talked about adding more possibly um, making ours a 10, a 10 movie category instead of five, because it just feels like now the decision for the committee is so much harder than it used to be because um, there's so much doc content. But I thought this year's doc content was as great or definitely as great as past years, if not even greater. Yeah, yeah. It was weird because there was a period of time in the pandemic where every week Amazon was dropping like, 10 documentaries that I had never heard of that, it, that, you know, had played a few festivals that had played like hot docs or something like that. Never saw the light of day. And then Amazon just started like acquiring all these films. And I, I saw so many great docs that way. And these were docs that I just had no clue about until they popped on Amazon. I don't think that would have happened without the pandemic. So yeah, blessing in disguise, I guess, but it, uh, I think it certainly was a, a pretty expansive year for docs in terms of the different types and the quality and, just the access for everybody in general. I mean, you know, HBO Max is dropping a new doc every other day, it feels like. For sure. Um, but you know what? I think that's a perfect time for us to just dive into our list because we, so we each have our own top 10 list. There is some, some overlap, but not as much as you would probably think. Um, so it's going to, so if we blast through these films that only appear on one of our lists, then we'll get down to the meat and the ones that actually appear on multiple lists. But we're going to start out with uh, one of the consensus picks, meaning that it appeared on three out of our four lists. And the way this will work is, is we're going to go through, and if it's on multiple lists, the person who has it highest on their list will talk about it first. If it's only on one person's list, that person, of course, will talk about it, and then we'll all chime in with our thoughts if we've seen it as well. So the first consensus pick uh, was Jen's number nine film, Brian's number seven film, and Summer's number two film, but it was a film that I have not seen yet, and it is also a film that was just today nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary. Why don't you tell us about it, Summer? Okay, so Mole Agent was actually a recommendation from Brian, and it moved so high up my list when I watched it. Um, it's about an elderly man in Chile, I think, right? Yeah. Um, and he's recently no background being a spy or in law enforcement. And then he sees an advertisement to go undercover into an old people's home to see if a woman is being abused there. A daughter is concerned. And so they're paying a private agency or it might be a state, it doesn't really matter. His job is to go in there. He's got spy glasses, there's cameras. He's got like all this high tech kind of James Bondy equipment that he doesn't really know how to use. He's a very old man. <laughs> and it's just so sweet. And he goes in there and 
the ratio is like four men to like 60 women or something as usual in these kinds of places. So there's a lot of like prospective romance, but he's recently widowed and not interested. And such a gentleman. I mean, I'm someone who's kind of just averse to straight men generally. And there is something just so heartwarming and lovely about this man. Um, plus the spy element stuff is very fun and the ending I won't spoil, but is wonderful. Um, I just really loved everything about this film. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, I thought it was just so different. And so uh, and the, the uh, protagonist was just so charming and sweet and lovable and, um, I just kept wondering, like, it almost didn't feel like a doc to me either. And I loved that. Uh, it almost had a narrative feel. And I, I just kept at wondering, like, I wonder how they got away with this kind of having cameras in this nurse. Like, was anybody questioning? Did they just say, we're just doing a profile on, you know, this old age home? And um, yeah, it was super sweet. And I was just happy uh, with how it ended. Uh, and again, without giving it away, you know, I just was really pleased with that, you know, it, the film kind of leads you to think one thing and, you know, something else happens. And I just thought it was, I just fell in love with the character, to be honest with you. It was just so, uh, it's such a unique story, in my opinion. Yeah. Jen? I actually saw this, I think, at, at, at Sundance, uh, not this year, but last year. And I wasn't, I wasn't a huge fan of it. And, um, but I noticed that so many people were, and I was like, okay, well, I must've been tired or hungry or in a really bad mood or any of those things that you feel when you're at Sundance. And um, I went back and I watched it again and then I was just uh, thoroughly charmed by it. Um, but yes, I mean, totally agree with uh, Summer's take. He, the, the protagonist, um, Sergio, is just such an amazing guy and i it's such a, it's such a an interesting setup for a film you know it's not characteristic for documentaries to really have this structure where they're going to have sort of some kind of setup going on um that's you know predetermined um and i i haven't read much um about what the intentions behind the doc were but you know what what happens is you get this sort of slice of life of what it is like inside of a nursing home and a lot of it's sad and without being without it being a depressing documentary do you know what i mean and that's that's what i loved about the way they captured this subject matter because someone said oh this is a documentary about a nursing home in Chile. Like you, you really wouldn't want to watch this, but this, this one's amazing. It has amazing cinematography and it's so well shot. Um, I just thought it succeeds and it's really unique. It's a really special doc. It's really different. So I, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. I, this is one that in my head, I knew I needed to watch before we recorded and I just didn't get around to it. And then of course I watched the nominations today and it was just like, Oh, okay. Well just rub it in. Uh, so it is on my to watch list and luckily it is on Hulu right now. So folks can check it out on there. Um, but yeah, so we we're kicking off with a film that made three of the four lists. That's, that's pretty good. There's yeah. only one other film that made more than two lists. So, uh, 
we'll discuss that later. Um, so now we're getting into the the films that I call the orphans. These are the ones that only made one of our lists uh, for varying number of reasons. And the first one we're going to start off with is my number 10 film. And this was one of those films that kind of just dropped on Amazon and I knew nothing about it. Uh, and it is in a long line of films the last couple of years that deal with art forgery. And this one is called There Are No Fakes. And it's a documentary uh, about, basically it's a member of the band, The Bare Naked Ladies. It's in Canada. He purchases a painting. Oh God, of course I'm going to forget his name. Uh, he, he purchases a, a painting by a very famous indigenous artist in Canada. who's like their most renowned indigenous artist. And he, he comes to find out that the painting is fake. And so he decides to uh, take the person who sold him the painting to court, which opens up this whole can of worms that leads into this like really vast, complicated like ring of art forgeries that are dedicated to this one person's work. And it's, there are moments, I mean, it cover, it's so expansive, it covers the entire ring of forgeries, the, the evolution of it and the history of it, and like the work that goes into these forgeries. And it's such interesting characters. Like you have these people who are selling these works that they know are bullshit, yet they, they are so committed to it and so committed to the lie that it almost defies logic when you're listening to them talk about what they're doing. And, you know, they're surrounded by these paintings that are obviously fakes and they're just clinging on to this idea. Oh, no, they're not fakes. We can't prove that they're fakes. And um, it, it's a little bit of, it, it's somewhat of a messy doc in some ways, but uh I was just so fascinated by it from beginning to end because I didn't know anything about that artist. So, and then, you know, getting exposed to his work. And then I, I just thought it was really engrossing. There were a couple of films this year about art forgeries and I could have gone with any of them, but I felt like this one might need a little bit more love than, you know, say the painter and the thief. Uh, so I went with, uh, there are no fakes. Has anybody else seen this one? I have. Okay. And I, I have, and I, and I totally agree with you. I saw it at Hot Docs a couple of years ago and I thought it was fascinating and I love art forgery docs yeah. <laughs> those are yeah some of the best ones out there um and really any crime docs at all but I'll you know I'll totally watch but um it's it's one of those docs where like where it starts and then like where it takes you it was like tickle yeah. from where it starts to where it goes you're just like oh my god I, this was so much deeper than I really thought it was going to go. So yeah, agree. I really like it too. Yeah. And you two have not seen it. We have not seen it, but I do like that as a subgenre of documentary generally. So yeah. I'll, I'll check the art it out. forgery. Yeah. There's a new one on Netflix, Made You Look, that just dropped that's actually really good too. Another art forgery doc. They're everywhere. Yeah. That's a whole thing. Um, next up is Summer's number 10 film. Summer, tell us about it. My psychedelic love story. I can't believe it didn't go on anyone else's list. No, nope. I'm so surprised. I did not. Um, so for me, and similarly to Mole Agent, what I liked is I felt like there was a James Bond element because um, they're on the run. And then it's like James Bond meets Acid meets Errol Morris. And I'm basically here for all three of those things anytime. <laughs> um, and I didn't know really anything about Timothy Leary at all. So I think that most people went into that movie knowing a lot more about it than me. So for me, it was just like, whoa, what a wild ride. Like, um, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, have you seen this one, Brian? I did see it. Um... 
I don't know what to say. It just didn't appeal to me. Um, I, I struggled just to get through the film. I'm sorry. Um, Errol Morris, like, like just anything that. he makes, I feel like is always going to make it on my list, no matter what he does. I mean, I thought like the graphics were that nice. The pacing was nice. And oh, I'm sorry, Summer, I was talking over you. No, it's fine. I, I like the pacing and the graphics. It was like really fast moving, but like it was basically a long interview with his partner, you know, and intercut with a lot of archival footage. And I don't know, there's just nothing to me that struck me as special about it. Yeah. And I, I actually know a fair amount about Timothy, Timothy Leary as well. So that could have possibly played into it as well. It was nothing new for me in terms, I didn't learn anything new. Yeah. Jen, have you seen this one? Yeah, I, I am a, I'm an Errol Morris super fan as well, like Summer is, and uh, and I'm of the belief that even even Errol Morris light is totally better, almost usually always better than everybody else anyway, even when he's even just putting like half his effort in. But I was lucky I got to, we did this for our screening series and I got to do a Q&A with him, which was, I was like petrified because he's like, he can be brutal. He, he's a god to me, but yeah, he's not an easy interview at all. No. Um, and he, not that he's mean or anything, but he's he's done so many of these over the years that he just kind of he doesn't care what he says anymore. Really, <laughs> he's Errol Morris. I know. But, I'd like um, to, I have, I've yet to see an Errol Morris film that I've truly loved. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Oh, maybe it's really? just not my. Wow. I know. I know. I feel fired. like it's like not, not like Shakespeare or something. <laughs> Not even Thin Blue Line, huh? Uh, I, you know, I do like Thin Blue Line. Excuse me. That was long time Wait, ago. Wait, you don't love Tabloid? <laughs> I love Tabloid. <laughs> like, that movie is like my heart on film. She is epic. Yeah. Um, wow. So if nothing else, we found out that Brian hates Errol Morris. Hates <laughs> a strong word. Wait a <laughs> he hates Errol Morris. My God. Um Weirdly enough, I am also an Errol Morris uh, fan, super fan. Um, I have not seen my psychedelic love story. I have not seen it. Um, I have. I, I'll be frank. I, I didn't even remember that Errol Morris directed it until you just mentioned it. And so, like now, I'm like, okay, I'm watching this tonight. And then I'm going to be like, shit, why wasn't on my list? Yeah, I watched um, this one and the Steve Bannon one in a row on my birthday this this year. Um, I've seen the Steve Bannon one. I, I do like that one. It's Which took just... me forever for some reason to get to, but that yeah. was, it was a lovely double feature in day. Yeah. I've, I liked my psychedelic love story. I just had others that I liked more. So that's why yeah. it didn't make it for and me. And I'll actually say too, I watched Truffle Hunters after I compiled my list and this was number 10. Maybe it would have been a different story, but uh, we'll probably get to that on someone else's list. Possibly, Maybe. possibly, yes. Um, okay, and this film is available on the Showtime app for folks who have that and want to check it out. Um, okay, we're up to Brian's number 10. Brian, tell us about it. Brian Stray by Elizabeth Lowe. Uh, I believe it won Hot Talks this year um, for Feature Doc, and it's about uh, stray dogs in uh, Istanbul. Um, and uh, they have a policy there where stray dogs are not... Um, captured and put down so there's an abundance of stray dogs and it's just a, such a beautiful poetic uh, film told from the dog's point of view and we get a lot of um, 
the dogs wander in and out. It's almost like vignettes strung together. The dog walks into different scenarios through the city. Um, there's one particularly challenge, difficult scene where there's some kids um, uh, doing drugs in a uh, abandoned home, uh, house or complex building. Um, and they're in this room that's cluttered with junk and they're inhaling um, drugs. And you know, the dogs happen to be there and um, everything's the what's beautiful the camera is done the camera angles are done from the dog's point of view so the whole film is done from almost like their point of view uh camera wise um and um yeah it's great and i think it was better than the, there's a lot of talk around the document is it, is it gunda i don't know if i'm saying it right gunda the one about the pig the pig on the farm oh yeah uh, you know yeah i feel like this is to me spoke to me because i felt like it had a real um the dog was the narrative thread almost it was like the narrator of the film and so structurally i just thought it was uh pieced together really nicely yeah it and was it's kind the of the same very, dog very brian is it the same yes, dog it's the same dog yep she follows uh primarily one dog but there's other dogs in it but it's still it sounds a bit too like Keddy. do you remember that movie a few years ago oh yeah i saw Keddy. yeah is it like yeah, that no it's not it's not as I found Ketty to be more approachable, like uh huh, um, less, less difficult to watch. Yeah, there's there's some scenes in this in Stray that are like that scene with boys, the homeless children doing the drugs that was kind of tough to watch. But her filmmaking style is so beautiful. There was like a definite visual poetry to the film, uh, visually for sure. Yeah, I, it, this film is definitely not, I think, for everybody. You know, um, but. I definitely yeah. enjoyed it, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I enjoyed it too. It it didn't make my list, and I it was one of those. It's a film that I liked, but didn't quite love. Um, but I, I I did enjoy it. I liked the I liked the way they handled it visually, and the like you said, the way they show it from the dog's point of view. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it, I thought it was a, a really good film, and uh, I know a lot of people you know like like this doc. It just I think it just recently got released on VOD. Um, yeah, Magnolia Pictures, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I just love that ending shot where they're doing the evening prayer, and you can he hear it over the intercom, and yeah. she just holds it on the dog, who starts howling, I believe. Yeah, you know, for it's what seems like forever. It's just, just so beautiful. Yeah, Jan, have you seen this one? I have, you know, and I I really liked this one, and I liked Gunda as well. It's just that there's so many films, you know. Yeah. Uh, this 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 one and Gunda would probably, if we were making like a top twenty five list, those two would probably make it in there. I think films like this are such an incredible achievement. I would not have the patience to follow around a, a stray animal and shoot them, and then you know cull through what must be thousands of hours of footage to mm -hmm. make this into an interesting story. So I'm really fascinated by this type and i loved Ketty. i saw Ketty multiple times of course i love cats so would but, you yeah. say it was different than Ketty? like i don't feel like they're comparable yeah. i felt Ketty was much more heartwarming and stray was a little more raw yeah. yeah yeah i felt that way too yeah yeah i, I i'm glad it's on here summer you haven't seen it i have not seen it no but i want yeah. to yeah I'm, I'm glad it's on here i i think it i think it's a unique doc and i think it's it's definitely For sure yeah, and I don't think it will probably not be our only doc about an animal. <laughs> Just my guess.
Um, <laughs> but yeah, Stray, it is available on VOD now for folks who want to check it out. Um, Jen, we will get to you eventually. The way the list broke down, you're just skipped over for a little while, but we will get back to you. That's your... okay. I'm just chilling. Good. She's just chilling. Um, <laughs> so now we're at my number nine film. And um, I, I felt like, I, I tend to think that most music docs are just average or, or okay. It's rare when a music doc comes along that does anything inventive, like, you know, films like Devil and Daniel Johnston, which I adore. And so, but this year there was one that I just absolutely loved and it's the Bee Gees, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? And this is just 90 minutes of pure joy on, on screen. Uh, it's directed by Frank Marshall, uh, Spielberg's producer, who also made Congo and Arachnophobia. And um, it's it's basically just a documentary about the Bee Gees. But the way it's pieced together and the way it's edited and, and everything about it is just so polished and, and inspirational and emotional. Like this, you know, just, you know, the fact that there's only one surviving member of the Bee Gees left and his brothers are gone and like, I just found some some really profound moments in this film, apart from the fact that, you know, if you're not a fan of the Bee Gees music, um, A, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I, I have to, I have to think that this this doc will hopefully turn some people over because I, I do think their music is pretty impressive and still holds up really well. And yeah, I just, I can't think of a doc that I had this much joy for 90 minutes watching. And I wanted to have at least one music doc on my list. And frankly, this was the only one from 2020 that I thought was worth a damn. So Bee Gees, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Has anyone else seen this? I did. Uh, I haven't seen the whole thing, but I remember I watched the part about their collaboration with Barbara Streisand. Yes. And yes. I was like, this is some good shit. Um, so I definitely want to go back and, and, and watch the whole thing. But uh, I love that you put it on here because... I love them. I love the Bee Gees so much. Yeah. Fully, you know, I was a 70s child, so um, was fully immersed. <laughs> I had the Bee Gees Greatest Hits double album vinyl. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty, I was a pretty big fan. Yeah. It, I, like I said, if you're not a fan of their music, you will be when this documentary is over. Um and Summer, you had this look on your face the entire time I was talking like, I didn't know Bee people liked the Bee Gees so much. I had no idea. Yeah. Seriously? I think I missed it. Yeah, I'm more like 80s, early oh 90s. Oh my God, kid. Saturday Night Fever? Yeah, no, I never, it's, oh, oh yeah. I think just, just predates ever. my time possibly. So Man. where can I find it, Billy Ray? Uh, it's on HBO Max. So oh. it is It is there, yeah. Which is like where everything is now. Yeah. I mean, God yeah, there'll be it. a lot, there'll be a lot more titles on our list that come from HBO Max. So, um, but yeah, uh, Bee Gees, how can you mend a broken heart? Brian, you've not seen. I've not seen it, but I was talking to someone about it who had seen it and they adored it. Yeah. This is the one where the brother, the, the, la the remaining brother is still alive. And he said, I if I had my brothers back, I would yeah do this all over again or something well, you, well no he was like yeah he was like he was like i just tra he, I, I trade all the success i yes. trade the whole career to have my brother's back yeah. yeah yeah it's a it's a really sweet moment um, i do like the bgs though so i should see it yeah and i'm a big frank marshall fan as a director so i was i was gonna go in anyway i congo and arachnophobia are two of my favorite pleasure movies um, and now the Bee Gees. Um, okay, we're now to Summer's number nine pick. Summer, tell us about it. Mayor. Um, 
So I just never saw anything like this before. And I, and normally anything documentaries dealing with anything in the Middle East, I'm like, oh, I'm sleeping. I don't know why. I'm just never really too grabbed by those films. Um, but this is a, a story about a Christian mayor in the city of Ramal Ramallah, Palestine. And uh, they celebrate Christmas there, like full on. It's, it's not like any Palestinian portrait I've ever seen. Um, and he's, really likable and it just felt like a really exclusive kind of sneak peek into the bureaucracy and governmental systems of this city in Palestine that I had never seen before. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anybody else? I have not seen Mayor. Um, I did a little digging on it when I saw that it was on your list, but I did not get around to seeing it. Has anyone else seen it? I've seen it. And Jen's I agree. seen everything. Jen's seen, everything. seen everything. You guys, I've seen everything. All right. See you later. Bye. <laughs> Um, I agree. It's amazing. It's so good. There's just so many good ones to share, you guys. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Also, just taken aback, not like not Ramallah's, not totally not what I thought it would be, but also at the same time, you know, they get into the nitty gritty of not being allowed to build a sewage system because Israel won't let them. Uh, so, you know, dealing with all kinds of horrible infrastructure problems because, and then just, you know, c the constant skirmishes between uh. them and the Israeli army who just pop over whenever they want to. And um, just really interesting portrait of a city who's trying to modernize and trying the best that they can, but still being held back by, you know, being a... Um, occupied territory instead of their own country and i just thought it, it was a really well done film definitely yeah. recommend it yeah yeah i'm looking forward to checking that one out too unlike summer i am not bored to tears by films to take place in the middle east i generally find them fascinating so uh I, I can't wait to check this one out it is available on vod or available you know itunes and all the normal places so you might have to pay for it but it's uh, sounds like it's still worth the couple of bucks um, okay, uh, moving right along to Brian's number eight film, which I hope is going to get us into an interesting discussion about whether or not this qualifies as a documentary. Brian, tell us about it. I know this is controversial, and I could not believe I liked this film either, but I was actually kind of blown away by it. It is um, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets by the Ross brothers. Yeah. Um, I was expecting to kick and scream and I fell in love with it. I feel like it's more of a concept more than anything. I don't know if anyone else agrees if they've seen it because, and there is a lot of controversy of whether it's a doc or not because it wasn't even, the, the plot of the story is the last 24 hours of a dive bar in Las Vegas. And it turns out it wasn't even shot in Las Vegas. I believe it was at a, a dive bar that may even still be open in New Orleans and that it was cast with actors and not necessarily real subjects. Yes, but I, I loved the idea. Yeah. And it kind of just follows this last evening of this bar with its regulars. Yeah, and it's, and to my knowledge, it's not actors. It's just they they auditioned a lot of different like, bar yes, flies. Yes, yes. like They're non-actors, but they collected people from different bars yes, and brought them correct. into the scenario. They were cast, how's that? Right. <laughs> correct. Correct. Yeah. It, it would be like if a McDonald's was building their dream team and pulling together all the staff from all the local McDonald's. Right. 
And, you know, there is that question, is it a doc, isn't it? And it's definitely not like a, a doc in the purest sense, but I felt like it really plays with the genre and I like how it straddles, you know, that um, yeah. line. And I think the only reason I found out was because I did, I, I was in Vegas and I was like, where was this bar? And I couldn't find it. And then I found all this other stuff that it wasn't really a real doc, a real place in Vegas. Yeah. But I, I just like the idea of it. And I feel like it brings the, it's the, the new storytelling for the genre. I feel it, it's kind of like the future of doc filmmaking, you know, yeah. it yeah. plays with reality. Yeah, I've been a big fan of the Ross Brothers. I love Chupatulas. I love Western, I think, is a really amazing mm -hmm. doc. Um, I liked this one a lot, too. I was a little thrown by the form at first, but I, I the characters are just so colorful yeah. and enjoyable. And I love the way it's shot. I love that sort of old sort of grain to it. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this too. It, had it been, had I thought it was, I didn't consider it enough of a doc to put it on my list, but had I, I it would have made my top 10 for sure. Um, yeah. Has everyone else seen this? I saw it uh, at Sundance year or last year. And um, I didn't know that it was not, uh, you know, like a traditional doc when I saw it and enjoyed it anyway and then I, my sister used to live in vegas and i asked her because the bar is supposed to be called roaring 20s yeah yeah like do you know this bar in vegas roaring 20s i just watched the stock she was like no never heard of that are you sure it's a bar so that's when i looked up and found out oh no it's not a bar in las vegas it's uh just i and I was blown away. Like I wasn't even mad at it. I was just yeah. like, this is exactly holy, reaction I, I was like, how the, I was just like mesmerized by how the hell they pulled this off. Yeah. It was because, seamless almost, yeah. Yeah, I mean, people can't even make narratives that are this convincing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was nuts. And I, I, th I think I've kind of bristled at the, at the hybrid docs sometimes I have felt upset at not being in on on it but this one didn't really bother me I think yeah, I, I have the same reaction and for some reason this one didn't rub me the wrong way and then I I guess I'm accepting of it now <laughs> they've changed my mind I really liked it I, I, I couldn't believe it I never would have thought that I would like it so much yeah. Well, there's a core of truth to it anyway. That that's at, that's at the heart of it. I it, that feels so authentic. Like, who hasn't spent a wild night in a bar and like made a best friend, and then they're your worst enemy, and then you're gonna marry this <laughs> other guy, and then you're making out with this woman, and like this is all happening. You know, like that's so relatable. So yeah, I watched it. Okay. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't bother the, me. The, the only uh, exterior stuff in Vegas, uh, the only Vegas stuff is when they did some exterior shots of them on the street and yeah. that's it. Cause I'm pretty familiar with Vegas. I'm there quite frequently. And um, yeah. Yeah. That's why I was like, I can't find this bar roaring twenties. There must be some sort of like, even if it's out of business, there's some record of it. And then yeah, nothing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Bloody nose, empty pockets in on Brian's list at number eight. It is currently available. The only place you can really find it right now is on topic. But if you have Topic, the app, which very few people do, you can get Bloody Nose Empty Pockets. I think you can buy it maybe on iTunes or something as well. Um, okay. 
Uh, on to my number eight film, which uh, to my surprise uh, also got a best documentary feature nomination today. And it was just one of the most lovely films I saw in 2020 called My Octopus Teacher. Uh, this was a Netflix film uh, that basically follows uh, a filmmaker named Craig Foster, who has uh, moved to Cape Town, South Africa. He lives this life there with his family. And it basically is about the relationship he forges with this wild octopus that lives in this kelp forest near where he's at in South Africa. And he gets incredible access to this octopus. I mean, the, the octopus warms up to him and, and, and will let him come and play with it. And like, and like they, you know, they honestly genuinely become friends. And, um, but there's also this underlying sense of like, inevitability and dread because you just know something's going to happen to this octopus for the least of which because they I, you know the way they sort of establish how dangerous that area where that octopus is living is and when when it when something bad does inevitably happen i was just a mess <laughs> they had done such a great job at that point of really developing that relationship and really making me care about a goddamn octopus i could not believe that I was like weeping at this movie, but it, it's just a beautiful, beautiful film. The underwater photography is absolutely gorgeous. And um, I was so delighted to see this get a best documentary nod because I, I certainly wasn't expecting it. And uh, yeah, I just absolutely love this film. I think it's just a very beautiful, very well-made film. Who else has seen this film? Brian? It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> But I will say I was happy to see that it got nominated and it wasn't like the usual, like it was a surprise. I never thought it would get nominated. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised that such a film like that got nominated, but it had, it felt very National Geographic to me, very oh, sure. like TV. Um, uh, I felt the format I'd seen before. It was beautiful photography, but like, yeah, it just seemed very like Jacques Cousteau, something like, yeah. I didn't yeah. watch it. I saw the trailer. It's not surprising to me that it would get nominated for an Oscar. That feels like exactly yeah. the kind of thing that they're looking for to me. But what, what? I didn't see the whole film. So what about it do you think makes it surprising that it was nominated? Well, for me, uh, well, I'll, just quickly, for me, I'm just not used to seeing like really simple little humble nature films get nominated. Mm -hmm. Because this film isn't doing anything, you know, necessarily adventurous with the form. It's mm. just the story it's telling is so like full with with the relationship with him and the octopus. I just thought it would get forgotten, frankly. I thought it would just get overlooked and forgotten and just kind of come and go on Netflix. And then, you know, to see it nominated, I was just like, what? <laughs> I definitely thought it was the dark horse. For me, I guess, I felt like Gunda was a stronger film in that short list of 15. And I thought that that had a much better shot of being nominated than um, My Octopus Teacher. Um, but maybe, you know, I just felt like Gunda was so beautiful. I thought that was shot much, uh, I like the cinematography in that more than I did My Octopus Teacher. Um, 
you know, taste is so subjective too. I mean, like yeah. there's no accounting for it. Like what we like, you know, what one person likes and what the other person doesn't like. Um, but to me, it just had a very like, like sitting down and watching National Geographic kind of a thing more than like, uh, and that, you know, that was it for me. I wanted it to like it, but it just didn't Yeah, uh, hit me the right way. Yeah. Jen, did you see this one? I did, you know, it was at a time when I was watching I think I had to watch 125 documentaries first for uh, the Cinema Eye Awards jury. And um, I knew, I watched part of it and I knew that it wasn't gonna hit in my top 10 uh, or actually top five, you know, it was really like, I just knew that I had stuff that I was gonna pick over it, so I didn't finish watching it. Sure. But it's definitely been on my list to finish because so many people, I, I've seen so many people post about it on my in my social media feed how much they loved it, and I was like, this is something I definitely need to go back and check out all the way. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's definitely worth it. I think it's also a good film to show if you've got kids. It's a good film to watch with your kids. I think it's like kind sort of a, fam- a family friendly doc. You can teach them some valuable lessons about nature and death. <laughs> um, okay. <Yeah. laughs> yeah, they need it. Um, but yeah, it is on Netflix, so folks can check it out on there. That will be its forever home. Um, up next is Summer's number eight film, and I'm surprised that it's only on one list. I'm really surprised about that, too. Um, so John Lewis, Good Trouble. I really love this film. I didn't know tons about John Lewis going in. I mean, I knew a little enough, um, but it was just such a good, amazing message the way that he's able to work inside the system to really affect change um, all these years to deal with this so much bureaucracy and and bullshit, frankly, that most people (laughs) do not want to work in. but he's just been so effective all this time. Um, I also really like the Stacey Abrams doc this year um, and they overlap in a lot of areas, um, but I, I preferred this one and just thought it was a really strong film. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It, it, it was just outside of my top 10. Um, I, I think it's, it does a super great job of really educating folks about John Lewis because everybody knows sort of the, the just the basic information about, you know, they know about Selma. They know about, you know, the, 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 the talking points there, but they don't know, they don't go deeper than that. And this doc goes super deep and really lets you know about him, particularly, like you said, like how anybody works that long in such a fucked up bureaucracy and can manage to do it without losing their soul is sort of insanely impressive to me. And it's just a well-made doc too. Like it's nothing terribly new in terms of like this type of doc but it's just really well made across the board uh jen did you see this one yeah i did and i liked it there were i I thought it was so timely there were a lot of political docs that came out this year that i liked a lot uh the john lewis one um all in which was the um this stacy abrams one Yes, the Stacey Abram ones, and then The Fight, which is the one about ACLU, yeah. which is probably my favorite of the three. Um, but I just thought it's hard, it's hard to make political docs, I think, really interesting and, and really, like, sort of flow enough to keep you in them. And I thought all of those were really strong. I appreciated all of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, there were there were a couple of political docs this year that I enjoyed, but none of them really made it onto my list. Uh, Brian, did you see this one? Did not. Oh, okay. One time I'm going to ask Jen if she's seen this and she's going to be like, no. It's, it's possible, I guess. Maybe it's going to happen, but John Lewis Good Trouble is also on HBO Max right now, so you can check that out there, and it is well worth checking out. Um, okay, on to... Fi- we're back at Jen, finally. We're here at Jen's number seven pick. <laughs> um, number seven, Father, Soldier, Son. You know, um, this is a this is on uh, Netflix now, and I think I can't remember where I originally saw this for. I think it was when it came. I watched it when it came in for Spirit Awards. But um, this is a, a documentary about um, generations of men going into the army, and it profiles one family. It's um, uh, a career army vet uh, stationed in Afghanistan, and he's got two little boys, and they're their mom has left the family. So the boys are, are staying with his brother while he's stationed in Afghanistan and sort of, you know, just sort of gets the viewpoint of the little boys about, and I believe they're from Wisconsin about, you know, what they think about the army. And, um, and then at a certain point, the dad, the dad gets injured, like real injured really bad and he loses his leg. And, it's just sort of like everything that this family goes through and the way that, you know, you would think that a person who has lost their leg and their life has become incredibly difficult would not want their children to go into the army. And yet this guy wants all of his kids to serve in the army. So, and it's also about not having the choice, you know, he's got a kid, who's saying all the way through that, no, he doesn't want to be like his dad. He doesn't want to be in the army. He doesn't want to be in the army. And then the end, he ends up in the army because he didn't do well in school. And his dad has said he's got to leave the house by 18. So it's just like, it's just the, the, the whole complicatedness of, of being like, you know, lower class or lower middle class and, and, and feeling like um, the army is your only option. And that's fine if we're not in a wartime, you know, you'll be sent to some assignment in the United States or overseas that's probably that difficult. But if we're in wartime, you're absolutely either going to sacrifice your life or your mental health or your physical health for that just because you felt like you didn't have a choice, like you couldn't go to college, so you had to make some other choice. It's just not fair. It's not, it's so upsetting to me. And I'm anti-war, but I'm not anti-soldier. And I, I care about films like this, but I feel like only the people who really want to serve should serve, not people who feel like they have to serve. Sorry, I know that was really long-winded, but <laughs> this film's great at telling that story. Yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, I saw this too when it first dropped on Netflix. And um, I'm like you, I'm also anti-war, but not really anti-soldier. And it's fascinating to me that whole mentality of you have to serve. Like that, I just, that's a foreign concept to me. I I don't understand it. Um, I've got a friend of mine now who is uh, 
you know, just a year or two short of the cutoff for even joining the military, he's all of a sudden like, I think I'm going to, I might join the military. And it's, and I'm just like, why? <laughs> like, I just, I can't put myself in the, the mindset of understanding it. But I do think this documentary does a good job of sort of showing that sort of conflict with people in terms of, of whether or not they enlist and serve. And um, yeah, this is, this is not an easy film to watch for me, but I, I, I did enjoy it. I did not quite, not quite make my top 10 list, but I did enjoy it. Uh, Summer, have you seen this one? I missed it, but I just added it to my Netflix queue because it sounds really, really interesting. Nice. Brian? <clears throat> I'm afraid I haven't. I jotted okay. it down as well. You did a good job pitching it. Yeah, yeah, it is on Netflix for folks who do want to check it out. And it is worth checking out. It's a, it's a good film. I, I, I don't think it's an easy watch, but I think it's a good watch. Um, okay, that takes us to my number seven, which is another HBO Max title. Go figure. Um, I'm sort of a little biased towards this film because this documentary is about an incident that took place literally 20 minutes from where I grew up. I know people in this documentary and I know all the locations in this documentary and it's called Alabama Snake. And this is a film of, it's a true story about a Pentecostal minister who was accused of attempting to murder his wife with a rattlesnake. And yes, it's based on a true story. And um, it, the documentary basically chronicles that story uh, about the man. It chronicles the life of the man, uh, Glenn Summerford, I think is his name. And then it interviews the wife who was attacked and all these people who knew him about the night in question where they basically found his wife. Uh, she had finally managed to break free of his of his hold on her since she basically, she says he had been, you know, trying to kill her with this rattlesnake. And then she calls the cops and they pick her up on this road. She's been bitten by a rattlesnake. They don't know if she's going to live or die. And uh, there's a trial and there, it's a whole ordeal. And I remember vividly being a really, being really young and hearing all about this because I grew up on a place called Sand Mountain and this is down in the valley, sort of right below Sand Mountain. And there are snake handling churches pretty, pretty consistent throughout that area. There was also a really great book that came out around the time that this incident happened called Salvation on Sand Mountain, which was all about sort of the snake handling Pentecostal religion. I just thought this doc was so gorgeously shot like it is it is so the recreations the reenactments are so well executed and it's just got this southern gothic vibe to it that i really love and i don't get from a lot of documentaries and um it's the filmmaker's name is theo love and uh producer is um what's his name brian storkel, brian storkel yeah. yeah yeah who i who I met at Slamdance the year that we were there. Little um, Hope was arson. We that's right. That film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I just loved this film. And uh, it, it's a kind of raised, it's gone up and up on my list, you know, the longer I've gone and the couple of times now that I've seen it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm biased, but I love it. I think it's great. Uh, Summer, I think you've seen this one. This one was a near miss. Like it was, it, if, if we were doing top 15, it would definitely be on my list. I loved it so much. Um, I love the style of it visually. It's just beautiful, but yeah, Pentecostals and rattlesnakes, I just think are endlessly fascinating and I could watch that forever. Brian, I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago we had a submission that was just basically an hour long feature of people dancing with I rattlesnakes. Yes, Do you remember? remember? It was my favorite yes. thing. We did not program this film, but <laughs> you're basically spending like the whole hour being like bite, 
somebody. Like you just are just like, please, like just waiting. So you're just like, when is the action going to start? Like, uh, and so this was really gratifying on so many levels in that way. Yeah. Jen, have you seen this one? You're not going to believe it. I have not. <gasps> wow. We finally Shocker. got to finally. one. Jen hasn't seen. But, uh, but I'm excited to see this one. It sounds amazing. It's it's really good. It's 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 really it, the the care the people they chose the right people to put in this documentary, um, and there are a lot of those folks in the South. Uh, Brian, have you seen this one? No, and I really regret not seeing it yet, but I should because I remember I know Brian, and I remember when he was talking about before they had even I think they were pitching it still at the time, and then I just haven't seen it yet. It's just one of those things. Yeah. It's got a lot of unexpected humor that makes it yeah. just really fun. Yes, absolutely it does. Um, okay, Alabama Snake, my number seven on HBO Max. Now we are to Summer's number seven, another film all about joy. So Mucho Mucho Amor um, is about uh, Walter Mercado, who I didn't know anything about. Um, but my kids are obsessed right now with Hamilton. Like it's all they want to watch and sing about. And I'll, they'll be in the shower singing it all the all the different parts at the same time and it's anyway to watch this and see Lin-Manuel Miranda show up and just like fanboy all over Walter Mercado and just basically like without this person he would not exist it seems like was a strong sense I got you know like was beautiful and I loved that and I um just love all the like gender bending stuff in a really strict um Latino culture is very difficult the way he was able to do all of these things and just kind of never really talk about um, if he's gay or straight or what, you know, and just kind of be this very flamboyant presence um, that could inspire so many people, I think was just a really beautiful story. And it's excellently made, um, I thought. Yeah. Brian, have you seen this one? I have seen it. Um, I remember when this was on TV growing up and I grew up in Massachusetts in the suburb of Boston. And I remember this. Um, for me, when I watched it, it, was, it brought that nostalgia back for me because I had completely forgotten about this individual. But um, I felt like it was your standard, you know, doc about like a celebrity that once was, you know, uh, it was very, you know, color by number type of a film, like very formulaic. It was good, but nothing special for me. Like, you know, yeah. interviews with the subject, again, archival footage and some animation for to break it up into chapters kind of thing, interludes. I think they use tarot cards, like an animated sequence of tarot cards. It was good. It was good. It was it was solid. So you I, would, I, yeah. You would say you did you don't hate it as much as you hate the entire filmography of Errol Morris. <laughs> I have a very, I think I have a very, like if, when you go through my list, I have a very specific aesthetic I think that I like. I like a lot of films that talk about, like that focus on like structure, form, style, like long takes, uh, kind of the cameras just kind of floating, wandering. Yeah, very, yeah. So my list is like a lot of like kind of more quieter films I, I, I feel than, um, you know. And mucho, mucho amor. <laughs> well, I mean, they think outside the box. How's yeah. that? But they, they don't, you know, I felt Mucho Mucho Amor was a very, um, like I say, very formulaic. It was very, yeah. it was solid. It was a good film, but just not my taste particularly. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in the same camp with you. I really enjoyed this film. I knew nothing about Walter Mercado, so it was fascinating learning about him. And he's such a fabulous character in general. Like, I see why someone would want to make a documentary about him. 
Um, but I was kind of in the same boat. I didn't think it did anything exceptionally exciting. It was just really enjoyable. It's like, you know, what's his name who makes all of those great docs about like Tab Hunter and Divine and like, uh, um, I can't remember, uh, I can't think of his name, but he makes, he, all of his docs are so solid and so inter- enjoyable and so entertaining, but none of them really push boundaries or do anything like that. But, um, but I still enjoyed it very much. Uh, have you seen yeah. this one, Jen? Yeah, this was one of my favorite days at Sundance last year because it was um, preceded by a short called The Shawl, which I don't know if any of you have seen, but I highly recommend because it's a doc short about um, uh, Stevie Nicks super fans. <laughs> wow. And it was like the perfect pairing. I've seen some perfect pairings of short and feature at Sundance, but this was like right up there i was like oh my god these two together were absolutely perfect but uh yeah i loved it i was because i remember walter mercado too and um uh he was just such an anomaly and um i just think you know um non-binary movies about non-binary people i'm just like i'm all about it i just want to see more and more and more of it because especially non-binary people from the past who have been strangely accepted and been allowed to be on TV, that it's, you know, it's like Dorothy Arzner being allowed to, being a lesbian and being allowed to direct movies in the 40s in Hollywood. So uh, I thought it was great. I really liked it. Yeah. I'll say this though, um, what I really appreciated about the film was that I feel like the direct filmmakers probably could have really, he's a very colorful character and I feel like you can go a very different way with the film, you know? Um, and I feel like they, they took the high road with that. And I thought that that, that they treated the, the subject with such respect. And I think you could go, uh, cause he's so colorful that you could easily uh, make him look foolish or funny, you know, and we would laugh at him rather than we took him very seriously. So I really liked that about yeah. the film personally. I left the film thinking I want one of those capes. <laughs> I just want one of those capes just to have laying around. I see you walking down Sunset Boulevard. That's right. People are like, oh, <laughs> what is that? I'm like, it's my Walter Mercado cape. Reminds me of Liberace a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Strong Liberace vibes for He's sure. like, to me, he's like Liberace meets Richard Simmons meets Miss Cleo. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's some hybrid therein. Um, but yeah, Mucho Mucho More is on Netflix right now, so folks can check it out there. And uh, that takes us to another film, which I am shocked is only on one list, and it is Brian's number six. No one else picked this? No. Wow. What I, is it? I'm so I love curious. The, the Truffle Hunters. I mean, I'm sure everybody's oh, seen it. I fucked up! Damn it. <laughs> um... I had a feeling I was going to like this because I, I, I love cooking and food and I like truffles. Um, and it was just kind of a nice story. Um, it hit all the right um, points for me. It was cinematically beautiful. The story was awesome. I loved how he juxtaposed these kind of humble people who go hunting with their dogs, forging in the woods for these truffles. And then you see the how they display the truffle on this gold plate, you know, for thousands of dollars, like there's just this con- contrast between how they're hunted and who hunts them to, you know, who buys them and how they're like 
you know, it's probably one of the most expensive uh, foods out there. Uh, yeah. Must be at least the top ten. Uh, truffles are very expensive, and you know how they the um, uh, how they try to kind of cheat them a little bit out of money sometimes, offering them lowballing offers to these you know truffle hunters, uh, probably getting less than that, that they really deserve, and then upping the price when they go to market. You know, yeah. I just thought it was a great story. It hit all the right like marks, I say for a film visually uh, editing is just solid all around great film yeah this is a prime example of what you were just describing as what a brian bolster film is i feel like like it's you know beautiful observational there's a love of animals like this is this i feel like checks like a lot of boxes for you brian and i loved too the um like you said the like black market kind of side dealings in these alleyways and like this like seedy underbelly of the truffle. Yeah, it's world. like who profits from it the most, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm surprised no one else had it. I thought for sure we would all be- I watched it late. Yeah. Uh, Otherwise it would have been on my list. It was on my honorable mentions. Yeah. Yeah. I gave a list of, of things that were just off my- It drew me in like immediately, like into the world. Yeah. Immediately, yeah. It's got this such a... a- Go ahead. Oh. This reminds me of like, um, if I was still programming for a festival, this would be one. We're always looking for a, like one or two things that would be good for an older crowd. And this would be like chef's kiss. <laughs> like, um, but at the same time, I mean, it's so entertaining and they yeah. were, oh my God, the relationships between those guys and their dogs. It's just like Amazing. when someone hits on gold uh, in terms of subject matter and and, uh, and people and characters, they're the all real just, salt of the earth like yes. characters. Yeah. Very yes. like yeah, yeah. And such a great sense of humor in the film too. Like it's a funny film. Like there are moments that are really funny as well. And the uh, squabbling with the the husband and wife a little. Oh yeah, yeah I can't yeah. believe this wasn't nominated. I thought for sure this would have been one of the films to be nominated yeah. today. I was I was surprised too. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed this film too a lot. It it, it would probably have been my like number eleven or number twelve pick. It was just outside, but again, there were just so there were more films I liked better. But I do love Truffle Hunters, and it is just now I think coming out in theaters in for in a way that people can see it. So it should be more available and on VOD pretty soon. Um, okay, uh, we're to my number six film, which is. Uh, from another streaming service, this one from Netflix. Um, boy, this film was just fascinating to me. It's called Tread. And this is a film, it's it's based, it's not based on, it's about uh, Marvin Hemeyer, who, if everybody remembers, was the guy who basically went on a rampage through the town in Colorado with a tank that he had built himself. And this was like national news uh, when it happened. And I was... Oh, what year did it happen? It would have been, the, I feel like the early 2000s, maybe the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and I remember being fascinated by this when, when it happened. And, and the documentary does a really great job of taking someone that most people would just think of as a monster and really humanizing him. And, and that's what I think really great dogs do. And so it takes this guy who is best known for this act of total destruction and it, it kind of gives you this sense of what maybe got him to that place. And you see him as a person who, you know, as, as not a horrible person who just got sucked down a bad path and ended up doing something really crazy. 
and um the the reenactments are incredible the way that they restage the sort of the the stuff with the tank is is really impressive and it almost plays it's a great it's, it plays like a thriller it's a doc it plays like a thriller and uh, I, I was, yeah, it premiered at South by in 2019, I believe. And then it, it just dropped on Netflix early 2020, and, which is, it's still there. And yeah, I absolutely love this film. Anybody else seen Tread? Nope. But I'm wow. adding it right now to my queue. Too. I'm the I only one. I'm the Sounds only amazing. one who's seen Tread. Yeah, it's it's really it's really impressive. And uh, can you it, can you say where it's available again? Did you say Netflix. where? Netflix. Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's directed by Paul Soleil. Um, and yeah, it's just really, really solid across the board. And it, it Good. yeah. And uh, sounds yeah. like a, a South by Southwest film. Yeah, very much, very much so, very much so. Um, okay, that takes us to our final film before the break. Before we get into our uh, one through five picks, for the most part. And so, closing us out for this section is Jen with her number six film. My number six film was Through the Night by Loira Limbaugh. And um, I just, I just rewatched this last night. It's, uh, it's about a, a daycare, um, a daycare run by uh, a woman and her husband. And um, they have, uh, I think they've run this daycare for, I don't know, over a decade probably. And it's a daycare that um, actually provides night care too. So she um, provides um, care to families who work night shifts as well. And um, these people work their ass off and they're, I think, you know, it just, it hit home for me because I was somebody who went to a baby, who went to babysitters instead of preschool because there wasn't preschool when I was, you know, in the seventies, when I was young, well, not, at least not here in Southern Illinois where I grew up, but, um, uh, I think it just, it, it, it hit a certain tone with me. And this woman is just so beloved, uh, in this town. Um, what, what is her name again? I wrote it down. Uh, uh, Nunu, they call her Nunu and I call her husband Pop Pop and, um it goes what it does is it it kind of goes into the lives of some of the parents who bring their kids there and um a lot of them are women and single parents and they are having a tough time um you know um working and raising a kid by themselves or kids plural and um i think it's just an incredible portrait of of some selfless people um who are wonderful at the same time you know telling the story of um how hard it is to make ends meet in the united states right now um and uh how people could really use a break like how people could really use a job that that pays a living wage and um i just it really touched me a lot yeah, this is not one that I have seen. Uh, Brian, Summer, have you guys seen this one? No. I wrote uh, it sounds good. I, I jotted it down as well. Two where in a can row. We, where can we find it? Jen, do you know? Um, I don't know, actually. I, I actually I actually looked it up. It, it is one of those films. It's sort of, out yet. 
it's not out yet in, in a wide it's it's in the same position as one of brian's upcoming films is um which still made it eligible for this it's list. in a limbo but it'll be available soon yes exactly it's in a limbo but it will get released at some point and it still qualifies as it sounds film. incredible yeah it does it sounds great um that's two films in a row that were only on one of our lists that's uh that's it's fascinating is what it is fascinating <laughs> Um, but that's all for the first half of this list. Uh, when we come back, we're going to dive into the uh, five through one films and we're going to get into more of our consensus films. Um, and we'll be back with the top half after a quick word from our sponsor. We are back and we're about to dive into our five through one picks. But before that, we're going to do plugs because who doesn't like plugs? And I'm not talking about hair plugs, which hopefully I will never have to endure. But uh, we're going to talk about you all and maybe what you have in the pipeline or where folks can find you. Brian, why don't we start with you? Where can people find you and what the fuck's going on? Uh, I can find my work uh, on my website, which is uh, brianbolsterfilms.com. Uh, I believe all my films, maybe except for one, my shorts are up there for streaming uh, for free. Uh, I'm currently working on a personal doc about my mom and I'm going to go to Florida, I believe next month, if all goes well to finish shooting it and hope to have it ready by um, uh, winter 2022. And that's why I missed out on some of these docs that we're talking about because I've been just so, you know, between work and making my films, it's just a lot of, you know, running around. I feel like I'm always busy. So yeah. It's, it's sometimes very hard to squeeze watching stuff in. Yeah, especially when you hate Errol Morris. It's really difficult. Um, <laughs> I want least people... I, like, I, like, don't automatically say I like it. Like, you know, I'd be like, oh, like, it's like when people, I used to live in New York and people would be like, oh, you must go to the theater all the time. I love Les Mis, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you know, just, yeah. Um, I, like, again, again, I have a very specific taste, so I tend to yeah. veer toward that more than, yeah. Other stuff. Yeah. Um, Summer, what have you got going on? What's where can folks find you, and what's what the hell's happening? Well, not much these days. <laughs> a lot of homeschooling. Um, but I have two short docs on Vimeo that I directed in the last few years. Um, and programming for Slam Dance keeps me very busy. Um, and I've been plugging. There's a doc we played last year that's coming out in May of this year called Bastards Road. That was one of my favorites of last year um, about a Marine veteran who treks across the country to reunite with some of his brothers and Gold Star families um, of people that he fought with. Um, and it's just a really vulnerable masculinity tale. Like he starts out as such a tough guy with all these problems. And then over the course of the film um, has this emotional intelligence and vocabulary to talk about things that I just found really refreshing. Um, so I've been talking a lot about, I've been plugging that. I feel like I got an email about that. Uh, is, is, where's is it available? I know I got some sort of email. We're not sure after. yet, but May, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And maybe when COVID is over, we get another film festival together. Mm-hmm. Um, Jen, where can folks find you and uh, what's happening? Hey, well, I've been living uh, in my hometown um, in Southern Illinois since September, but I'm getting my vaxes soon. Uh, probably within the next four weeks, I'll have them both done and then I'll come back probably to LA in April. 
we have the Spirit Awards coming up. Uh, it's virtual show this year, so it'll be a mix of live and pre-taped. Uh, it's being hosted by Melissa Villasenor from um, SNL, who's a very funny lady. And um, it's going to be on April 22nd, 7 Pacific, 10 Eastern on IFC. And uh, uh, a Thursday night as opposed to a Saturday afternoon. We're usually the Saturday afternoon before um, the Oscars. So yeah. changing it up a little bit for the, for the COVID year. And um, yeah, that's, I mean, uh, I program... Uh, our year-round mem member screening series so if you join film independence you can watch me all the time doing q and a's yeah. with tons of people um they're actually all saved on the the um film independent youtube channel if you want to check out any of the q and a's that i did for uh in the past year is it bad to say that i enjoy listening to you interview people more than elvis mitchell Terrible. It's terrible to say that. <laughs> okay. 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 Well, then we'll just. No, he, um, he doesn't work with us anymore. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that. How long uh, has it been? Yeah. Uh, he's been gone about a year. I think okay. He, no, he left about probably six months before the COVID. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I did not know that. Um, well, then anybody watch the cinema eye honors awards? I did not get to watch them this year. I didn't either. But Me either. I... Yeah, I did not do too either. Um, well, yeah, check out all of these folks and, uh, you know, whatever they've got coming down the pipeline. But now it's time. It's time to dive into the second half of this damn list. Is everybody ready? Sure. We're ready. <laughs> Come on. More enthusiasm than that. Sure. Is everybody yeah. ready? Sure. There we go. <laughs> Well, kicking us off at the number four spot is Summer Garver. Summer. So, Zappa. Um, I had heard about it in an interview, I think, with the director at some point on a podcast or something, maybe. And um, Alex Winters. Winter? Winter. He, right. Um, so the way he had found a lot of this footage, um, in Laurel Canyon at Frank Zappa's uh, widow's house or Zappa's former house where he had a studio. And I feel like in college, I had the poster where he's on the toilet and I just thought that that was cool, but I never really knew anything about him, um, which is embarrassing to admit now. But um, so I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. And I liked that like he has such a kind of weirdo outsider style. And I felt like the film did a good job of not taking like too conventional of approach. Like I thought it really captured a lot of his um, eccentricities nicely um, and his relationship with his family and his daughter. I just thought it was a really well done biography. Yeah, and you know, I said something earlier where I said that uh, Bee Gees was the only decent music doc this year. That's actually not true. Zappa is a really good doc. It's a yeah. really well-made doc and it gets, you get some pretty like insane access to like things that no one's ever read or heard before. And if you're a Zappa fan, this, this doc has kind of just got to be mind blowing for you. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed this doc too. It just didn't quite make my list. Alex Winter had a good year with docs because he also did Showbiz Kids for right. um, HB, or was it HBO Max. And I feel like he had something else that he worked on too. He's been really tearing it. I mean, obviously he had Bill and Ted face the music, but um yeah, um, Brian, what did you think of this one? 
I didn't see it. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm not a, <laughs> sorry. Well, Jen, how about you? I did see it. And I have to say, I did not like it. <laughs> oh, why? I think it's a, it's one of the only ones of the ones that you have guys had on your list that I didn't, that actually really didn't like that much. I, if, I think that it feels like it's specifically for uh, Zappa fans. And I, I didn't feel like it really drew me in and I didn't feel that interested in it, which is crazy because I love music docs, even docs about people that I don't necessarily follow hardcore. I don't know what it was about this one. I just, it didn't, it wasn't that appealing to me. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not a Zappa fan, it might be hard to get into it. And I, I was, I, I was sort of, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a big Zappa fan, but I do enjoy some of his music and was familiar enough with him where I was kind of able to get sucked into it a little bit better, probably. And his ethos of making money outside of like um, standard production modes and things like that, I found really interesting. Um, The business side of it and the way he handled that was was pretty fascinating. Um, Where did I see it? I think Amazon maybe. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, it's it's available on VOD right now, so you can definitely check it out anywhere. You know, you can buy docs. Um, okay, Zappa, Summer's number four, which will now take us to uh, Jen's number four, which was also a Best Documentary Feature nominee this year. Yes, my number four was Crip Camp by James Lebrecht and Nicole Noonan. I was just, I saw this at Sundance last year. I was just blown away by it. And, and also just, there's so little out there that's about the disability community. And this was, you know, um, it profiles this uh, summer camp that was open from the 1950s to the 1970s called um, uh, Gen Ed, Camp Gen Ed. And um uh, it was it was for people with disabilities. It was run by a bunch of crazy hippies. Um, so you know, like everybody would would get there, and just all unlike other summer camps they had been to for people with disabilities, they could do or expected to do everything that everybody else would do at a summer camp. Play baseball, like even if you're in a wheelchair, you're gonna play baseball. If you can't run, someone's going to carry you to the bases. Um, have makeouts with your fellow campers. Smoke pot with the counselors. I was just like, and basically what happened is all these people bonded so hardcore at this camp and, and started talking about their lives and how the world is, was just not set up for people with disabilities, people you know, this is back in a time period where businesses weren't required to have ramps or elevators or there wasn't required accommodation. And people with disabilities literally could not go a lot of places. And I think that's something that you don't really think about, that there was a time, I mean, I'm not even sure it's the greatest right now, but there was a time when it was really horrible. And, um, it's such an inspiring doc and just uh, just there's nothing out there like it I just loved it yeah yeah I I I really love this doc too and it just makes it's one of those docs that just makes you feel warm inside when you watch it it's so fun and full of life and uh 
yeah, it's it's really fantastic and is on Netflix. Uh, Brian, have you seen Crip Camp? I have, and I gotta say, I was super disappointed. Oh. I was really excited about it for the very reasons that Jennifer was. You like there's so few docs about you know disability, and I felt gypped by it. I felt like the first 25 minutes were about the camp and how they bonded, and yes, through that bond, then they became close knit community that went on to do change like the law in California. It was a prop 210. I think so. I can't remember. Yeah. And I just felt like it was um, it was an odd title for a film that only so little of it was actually in the camp. And I don't know, I just was really looking so forward because I had such great things and I just failed. I guess I'm failing to see like the magic with it. Yeah, I don't even know if it would make my top 20 to be honest with you. I, I was really expecting something different, I think, from this film, and it didn't somehow deliver for me. Uh, I felt like they should have focused on the whole uh, getting this bill passed rather than spending the first 25, 30 minutes on the camp. That could have been like a 10-minute piece, like this is how we all met. Like, it was just, it's, I don't know, I just felt like it was like a clickbait thing, kind of like, I was, I don't know, I was expecting something different in, from, from what I had read about it. Yeah. Summer? I think that's fair. I mean, the structure of it is strange with the title. Um, Cause like in the second act, you're like, wait, we're not in the camp anymore. What's this movie about now? Where am I? What's happening? <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, it's still like the revolutionary message of it. I love this yeah. like idea during civil rights that, you know, disabled people are marching like, and I just thought, you know, in the, in like watching John Lewis and these other docs too, like the way that that all kind of fits in and is such a relevant and important story that you don't see very often um, has huge value. But yeah, I mean, it didn't grab me. I wasn't. Yeah. I was, I was actually less taken with the prop stuff than I was. I would have rather just seen like a, you know, 70 minute documentary about the camp. Yeah, I kind of was camp. like, why are we leaving the yeah. camp? I don't want to leave yeah. the camp. Because it had all the great things that you brought up about like, you know, smoking, you know, playing baseball and like, this is where, you know, we can be ourselves because it's so hard and outside of this world. And, uh, you know, and I just missed all that, you know. Yeah. And they had such great, you know, footage, like. Really authentic archival moments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Of them I just, just speaking missed, so openly, saying like my parents are so protective and I don't feel like I, like all those pieces, I just wanted a lot more of that really yeah. too. Yeah. And I love that story about the woman who had the uh, the affair with the bus driver and got the STI, like, like yeah. yeah, I liked like, but yeah, it just felt jumbled to me. Like it didn't seem like, it, I felt like it needed another pass in the edit room. It just seemed a little disjointed for me. Yeah. Hey, that's fair. Title work. Yeah, but it is on Netflix if folks want to check it out. And uh, again, it was up for Best Documentary Feature, so it's one of the five. It beat out some some strong docs. Um, okay, we're at my number three pick, which honestly, part of me doesn't understand why it's not my number one pick, but it is my number three pick. And uh, I, I would say this, I can name three films in 2020 that were sort of like profound life-changing moments. And I would say this was one of those. Uh, and it's uh, American Utopia. It is the David Byrne concert film on HBO Max. And I actually saw David Byrne on his American Utopia tour when he came here to 
uh, Los Angeles. And um, it was just, I mean, I, I knew the album by heart already. And the, the, the concert was just probably the best concert I've ever been to in my life. And this is the stage show that is built, built off of that concert tour. Very similar in a lot of ways. A lot of what happened on the stage show happened in the concert every night. The difference is they've added some talking head songs and some other of Burns, you know, bigger hits to the show to kind of make it more appealing to a Broadway audience, which is where this played. But there is just something so emotionally, I don't know, captivating, devastating, all these different things about his music in particular, particularly the way it's staged in this show, which is so simple. It's just him and it's a group of musicians and there's, it's really a blank stage and it's a lot of choreography and Burns' voice is still fantastic. Uh, he, he does some interludes between some of the songs and, and sort of talks through and he's so awkward and funny and, and weird and wonderful. And um, I, I, just, I, I, I just absolutely adore this film. I know, you know, people talk about Stop Making Sense as being one of the best, if not the best uh, music Doc's ever made. I would say that this is no worse than Stop Making Sense. I think it is right up there with that. And it's directed by Spike Lee, which is such an unusual, I mean, on the outset, you would think Spike Lee's going to direct a documentary about a David Byrne concert. That seems so bizarre, but then you watch it and it kind of just makes sense as you're watching it. And Spike Lee does a really good job of, of, of directing the film, of making it not feel just like a regular old concert film. He does add some flourishes in there, especially when, you know, when uh, David Byrne's doing his Janelle Monet cover, which he also did during the live show. And, and yeah, I just absolutely love this film. I uh, I can't say enough good things about it. I've seen it probably four times with different people since it came out. And I love this album. I love David Byrne. I think it's an awesome dot. Who else has seen American Utopia? No, no one else? Wow. 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 Well, this I that's exciting. I getting this film mixed up. Didn't the Ross brothers do a film couple two or three years ago about David Burns in Color Guard oh I keep yeah getting the two I yeah keep he, that they that did. Was this one yeah this is not this is just a okay a, it's his Broadway show basically filmed by Spike Lee okay yeah that's what this is and uh, well that's exciting that none of you have seen it because that means you're going to have something really joyous happen I can't wait do. it is just phenomenal so yeah yes. I don't know how I missed it yeah, it is on HBO Max, so that's where it dropped, and uh, yeah, check it out. It's incredible and so great. Um, it's definitely on my list to yeah. catch up with. Yeah, it could have just as easily been my number one, frankly. It, it could have. Um, okay, uh, that takes us to Summer's number three film. Summer, why don't you tell us about it? Oliver Sacks, His Own Life. Um so I've loved Oliver Sacks for a long time. I've read a lot of his books and I just have always thought he's a really interesting person. Um, but I still learned so much in this documentary about him. Um, he was raised in a pretty conservative household. He comes out as gay. His mom calls him an abomination. So he moves to San Francisco as one does, gets into like leather daddy stuff. <laughs> Uh, and a lot of speed and motorcycles. And I just like, and I'm, I'm from San Francisco. I grew up in the Bay Area. So I just like love all of that stuff. Um, his story I just thought was really compelling. There's some stuff with Temple Grandin. Those parts are gold. Um, yeah, just, he's just a really compelling character. I just really like him. 
Do you remember, uh, this is just a slight tangent before we dive in deeper, but do you remember the, the period of time for about a year when at every single award show, all of a sudden they'd be like, oh, and there's Temple Grandin. And Temple yeah. would jump up and wave and they'd be all excited. And I swear that went on for like a year or two years. She was just everywhere. Like, oh, there's Temple Grandin. Yeah. Because there was a couple things she was in like over the course of two or three years. So it, like she was just popping up all over town. Yeah. Oh, wow. I but yeah, that. I have not seen this, actually. I am an Oliver Sacks fan, but I've not watched this doc yet. Brian, have you seen this one? I haven't seen it either. Oh, Jen? Yeah, I've seen it. And I, you know, I actually did not even know anything about Oliver Sacks until a couple of years ago. So I still haven't read any of his books. I really want to. This doc is, is, is really interesting because he's so fascinating and also so sexy. My God, the pictures... He's just, um, you know, he's a, like a ge- genius level IQ, but like looking like Marlon Brando with his leather jacket and his, his weightlift, you know, he was like a weightlifting. He's like fanatic. a bodybuilder in Venice yeah. beach for a while. Um, I, I, the part, the part of the doc that was really heartening for me to hear was, is that, um, you know, he was super late bloomer, like sexually sexually sexuality wise and finding a partner wise it took him a really long time and I think that um that's what happens to you sometimes as a gay person you can really get into this mindset of oh it's me nobody likes me I'm not attractive I don't have anything going for me and to look at Oliver Sacks who has everything going for him and thinking he could think that about himself it's just like, you know, it's such a, a mind fuck living in the gay fishbowl of life and trying to like um, find a partner. So it was a nice reminder of that. Even a brilliant person can sometimes feel like there's something wrong with them and nobody for them. So I really appreciated that moment. Yeah. Yeah. There's not- a beautiful love story enmeshed in the film that's really, really nice. Um, because he does suffer, it seems like, from a lack of self-confidence. He calls it being very shy, but it seems like, um, and I know a lot of people like that that just feel like I'm going to be, I'm going to die alone. This is my life, you know. And then, but it's not always so bleak. Yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, I, I look forward to. I'm, this might be what I watch tonight, actually, after we uh, when I get really stoned. And yeah, Oliver <laughs> Sacks, his own life. Um, yeah, great. Oliver Sacks' own life. It is on VOD, so you can, uh, I think it's through Zeitgeist Films, I think, put it out. And you can get it on VOD right now. So, um, okay, this is our final orphan, our final film that is only on one list, and it is Brian's number two pick. I, I, I was, here's another film I was super surprised I loved. I wanted to not like it because I thought it was going to be uh, a film where uh, everyone kind of like a mucho mucho, like you could easily go down a different road with this film. It's called Some Kind of Heaven about the uh, villages in Florida. And first of all, I love Florida. So <laughs> that might be a little biased for me. I think he, did, did he film it on film too? I, I got the feeling uh, that he used film and it wasn't shot digital, but I'm not hundred percent sure on that. Um, I thought this film, I went into it I know, thought, thinking I was going to hate it and I fell in love with it. It was, um, it starts off very light and then it goes into a kind of a different direction and I felt it was very 
you know, it's not like when you watch the trailer about the quirky things that this, uh, it's the largest retirement community in the country. Um, and I thought it was going to just poke fun at like old people living here, you know, snowbirds coming down and relocating. Um, but it wasn't that. It follows kind of three individuals and kind of like at, in their golden years and that it's not all fun and games. And uh, at this retirement community, it's very lonely for a great many of the residents there. And yeah, I thought it was really well done. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, and it was shot. Uh, I just loved the visual style. You know, it was just great. I can't say enough about it. It was really hard between my one and two. Those were, I kept waffling back and forth. Yeah. Um, yeah and I guess, is it Lance Oppenheimer? He's like only in yeah. his 20s, I believe. He's very young. Yeah, a lot of Oppenheimers making docs. Yeah. Um, Jen, have Anybody you seen this one? It? Yeah, I did. Uh, I loved it. Um, you know, it'd probably make my top 25. Uh, it was, it's interesting because, um, you know, I have this group of friends, with, girlfriends, we have this TV club together and we're, you know, we all have this pact with each other. If we're all like alone, like let's go retire somewhere together. And then, so then I watched this doc and, um, it's, you know, it's not your average retirement community no. doc. <laughs> you know, there's a couple that um, one of them gets a drug problem. Yeah. Um, there's a guy, oh my God, that guy that, that who's homeless and looking for like a, a woman to take care of him. Yes. Yeah. He yeah. lives in his van and he's prowling the retirement communities for a lady. Um, yeah. And you can't he see, can they all kick him out. <laughs> so like, these are not your average you know, retirement mm -hmm. subjects. And, and that's what I was so surprised by how, yeah. like the direction it took was totally unexpected. Like, you know, the trailer makes it seem like really quirky and offbeat and cutesy and it, it's not like that at all. I, at least I, I felt, yeah. 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 Uh, Summer, have you seen it's, this one? I haven't, but I'm definitely, it's, uh, I'm adding it to my list. Yeah. I love, been, I love old people, anything. Yeah, I've been, I agree. I've been wanting to check it out since it first dropped on VOD and I haven't checked it out yet. It, it, it looks right up my alley. I like, like you, what was the film from a, several years ago about the, the old folks in the singing group? Um, oh, um, I can't think of the name of it. Isn't it a Canadian film? Um, they, all I know they is went the to prisons. And, and all, yeah, all I know is they sing a Coldplay song that made me weep like a yeah, baby. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, a young at heart. Yes. Young yes. At heart. That's it. Good job. Yeah. It, this, heart, yeah. It, this just by looking at the little bit of research I did on this, it, it, it feels like it's going to give me those vibes and I'm all down for that. I'm all about yeah. that. Yeah. It was, it, it's really great. You know, I wish it uh, got more love, I guess. Yeah. Uh, out there, but and it, it is, uh, was it Amazon? I can't remember where I it's watched It's on VOD it. right now. So yeah. I know you, yeah. you can, you can buy it wherever you get VOD at. I know, it, I know it's on Amazon because that's where I see it every day when I'm scrolling. Um, yeah, some kind of heaven. Um, that was the final of our orphans. Now we are into what I call the siblings. These are the films that appear on two lists. And um, the first one is going to be Jen's number 10 film and Brian's number five film. Why don't you tell us about it, Brian? Feels good, man. Yep. Oh, I'm glad someone else. I thought for sure no one would else. I'm glad you're in three. I, you know, this is one of those films that is, I like the subject matter more than I did the filmmaking style. It's one of the, my top tens that fall into that category. And I just, 
it was such a cool like uh it's about pepe the frog which is made by an individual i think his name's matt and how his pepe the frog becomes appropriated by the alt-right and how they use pepe the frog as in their memes and gifs and how they they've used this it was kind of like i don't know if you remember keep on trucking like that's kind yeah. of what pepe the frog yeah. reminds me i think keep on trucking was like a 70s like uh, cartoon yeah. character and you know pepe is like this laid-back chill frog that for some reason they alt-right picked it up and used it for their own uh purposes and of course this guy didn't have it copyrighted or trademarked or anything so and it's about him like trying to reclaim pepe for what it was intended to be which was just kind of like a feel good man vibe i guess you could say yeah it, it was really good i just i was i wasn't expecting to like this at all and it was a, a really pleasant surprise for me yeah yeah um uh jen what were your thoughts on it yeah i loved this one um yeah, uh, it was about so much that i just don't have not understood which is 4chan yeah. and um memes <laughs> Um, and Pepe the Frog, yeah, turned into a meme and then turned into, you know, adopted by 4chan and then by the alt-right. And, the, you know, it's about a, a cartoon frog. So um, I'm assuming they had Matt Fury create all the new animation for it. Uh, but I love, I love docs that include a lot of animation in them and... Um, this had a lot, but also uh, Matt Fury is, is a really good interview subject. And also they, they talked to a few people who have written very good books uh, on all right subjects. And I was just like, thank you somebody for explaining this to me in such <laughs> yeah. a interesting yeah. way. Uh, but also just the phenomenon of it. It's like, it's so weird. It's not something you could ever predict in your entire life that a bunch of guys that live in their mom's basement could upend an election. But there you go. Yeah. You know, and this is what I feel like Sundance every year has one of these very big pop culture type phenomenon things. And I feel like this was th th this year's film. And, you know, I just thought like it moved nice, it moved fast, which is again, not my style, but it kept me engaged and like, like glued to the screen watching it. It was in the, 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 the protagonist, Matt is just really likable guy, kind of yeah. like the mole agent. Yeah. Yeah. I, this was a film that, um, I, like you, Jen, I was like, thank God someone finally explained all this to me because like 4chan and stuff like that was just like in one ear and out the other. I was like, I don't have any concept of what all this means. This film does a good job of breaking it down. I think the only reason it didn't make my list because I did really enjoy this film and, and the content was so engrossing. I did think it was as a doc was just kind of so, so in terms of how it was made. Um, oh. Like you said earlier, I feel like I feel like it kind of checks off the things a doc needs to check off in terms of animation and like all the things that, you know, modern docs have in abundance. Uh, but I was so engrossed by the story that it could have easily crept onto my top 10. It just didn't quite. Um, but, you know, it is still a really good film. Did you see this one, Summer? I haven't, but I'm going to. Um, yeah. That sounds it, amazing. It's on VOD, so you can check it out on VOD. It actually, for a while, it was on Amazon. I don't know if it's on Amazon anymore. It looks like it is. I just looked it up. Okay. So then, yeah, you could check it on Amazon, and it's definitely on VOD. But uh, yeah, Phil's Goodman is 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 a good flick. Um, okay. Our next sibling 
is Jen's number eight and Summer's number six. Hurrah! Circus of Books by Rachel Mason. I love this one. It's by uh, the woman that directed it. Her, the movie's about her family who used to own, uh, many will recall well, the Circus of Books bookstores, one on Santa Monica Boulevard and one on Sunset. I can walk and, to one. I can walk to the old Circus of Books in 30 seconds from my place. The, the WeHo, the West Hollywood? No, one? the one in uh, Los Feliz Silver Lake. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Um, I had never been to one, but one of my friends, uh, uh, you know, uh, went to it, met someone, went to Vaseline Alley and caught crabs. So he had the full, <laughs> he had the full, uh, you know, Circus of Books experience. Uh, but anyway, Circus of Books was like, you know, a very well-loved uh adult bookstore in los angeles uh they had tons of vhs dvd whatever format sex toys lube <laughs> poppers <laughs> um what they were just a you know like a like a a, a super walmart of uh anything that you could want within that category of adult gay category and um they were this is the anomaly of it they were run by a conservative jewish family um and with three kids and rachel mason was one of the three kids so this is basically the story of her family's lives and circus of books and then of course you know they almost go to jail because of the whole crackdown on pornography and then there's the whole storyline with one of the Jewish family's sons ends up being gay, which doesn't sit well with the mom, even though she works with a ton of gay people and supports other gay people. So she there's this whole storyline where she has a huge struggle with one of her kids being gay. I just thought it was amazing. I was so moved by it. The other crazy thing is it features Jeff Stryker, who I have strangely have met. <laughs> <laughs> you know one of the hugest porn stars of the 80s and um i was doing a show in chicago one time and it was in a complex that had three theaters in it and i was doing a show in the big theater and jeff was touring his one-man show in the small theater so he used to come out after his shows in a robe that was completely open and and sh shake hands with everybody and from what I heard, if you didn't want to shake his hand, but you wanted to shake another part of him, you could. So there you go. Wow. Um, I, I don't think you have that same uh, anecdotal experience, Summer, but what did you think of Circus of Books? <laughs> I love LA. Um, yeah, I just thought it captured a lot of that history really nicely, the 1980s AIDS crisis. They were, you know, they were around for so much of, of the progression of gay history, I feel like in Los Angeles. Um, and then for her to also be attending like a conservative synagogue every week um, was just so interesting. And the way that they can justify that. And for so long, not their kids didn't even know. They just thought they, were, they owned a bookstore or something. Um, and they were able to hide that from their community. It's just, it was really interesting. Um, and then the way in the end, it kind of turns out, um, you know, they have to kind of grapple with some of those 
disparate belief systems. Um, I just thought was really interesting and well told. And yeah, so local. I mean, you know, I was pro I was doing a curated series in Silver Lake. Like this would have been perfect. Like it's just so hyper local for like the kind of stuff even we were talking about um, a couple of years ago. So I just I I enjoyed it on that level. Yeah, I. I don't know. I, this is this is the weird one for me because everything about this film is set up to make me enjoy it. Like, right. like I, I went to Circus of Books when it was there. So I've, I've been in the Circus of Books and I, I it's local, which is also fascinating to me. It's LA history, which is like everything about this is fascinating. I was still disappointed in it. I, I just, there was something about it. I it, it felt like such a, I liked the stuff with the family I just didn't think that I didn't feel like they did a good enough job of really giving me enough about the store that I wanted. And um, I, I thought for the most part, I mean, it was good. It's still a good dog. I, I certainly think it's a good dog. I just, I think I was wanting more and, and it just didn't hit those, those right notches for me, which it should have. It was designed to do that. Um, I feel like they made it just for me. Um, Brian, have you seen this one? I have. I agree with you. I, I didn't really enjoy it. I hate being the downer. I feel like I'm the one who. <laughs> Every we all we need a Debbie Downer. I know, but I'm. Uh, it just um, <laughs> all the things that you said. I, the memorable character for me was the guy who worked there forever, and he was out of a job. Yeah. Like I liked that. He was the only one that I remember and liked. I felt very. This is just tastes again. Like there's no accounting for it. Like it felt very amateurish to me. Uh, you know. I mean, I don't know. It just seems sloppy. I, and I don't like saying that, but I don't know. It wasn't, it didn't sit well. It just didn't work for me. And you know, maybe because I'm new to LA, I'm not an LA person. And so I don't have that. Cause I know people here talk about circus of books with great fondness. And to me, it's yeah. like, you don't it's have a bookstore. We have them. They're all in New York too. Like right. it wasn't other than the, 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 um, the punchline is, is that it's owned by a conservative Jewish family, you know, and I don't know if that was enough for me to carry the story. I didn't feel as like much about the store in the end. I don't know. I think you kind of danced around that or alluded to that. Yeah. But I'm glad it's on the list because like, you know, like something I didn't like, but other yeah. people do. That's what the beauty of this is, you know, what yeah. yeah, and it's on Netflix for folks who want to check it out. It's up there for, for all of your enjoyment pleasure, Circus of Books. Uh, next up is another sibling. It is Brian's number nine pick, but back to Jen for another discussion at her number five. Uh, yeah, uh, Welcome to Chechnya by David France, who's, uh, I think all of his docs are on LGBTQ. Yeah. subject matter um starting with uh how to survive a plague which was just Fantastic. stunning to me Fantastic. love that doc um yeah this uh so i didn't even know when i had seen this that it uses the you know the facial it uses technology to disguise people's faces so that people could appear in it what without um being recognized but this is this is about a network of people that basically get people out of Chechnya, gay, get, they get gay people out of Chechnya. And it's just, I don't know. It, it's not crazy. It's hard to watch. Yeah. I thought at times it was very I mean, tough. It's tense. It's very tense. Yeah. 
it's not crazy to me that this is happening. Like, I know that it is, but when, when you actually see it on film, you're like, this is the reality of some people's situation. Like, yeah. these people could literally be murdered. They could be murdered in, in, in Chechnya for being gay. I literally um, had to turn away a few times because I yeah. couldn't watch some of the footage. And yeah. Oh, yeah. There's some footage in there that's really rough of uh, yeah. gay people being attacked. And um, I just, I, th- I mean, I think it's a well made film, but it's also an, an important film. It's important for us to talk about how it's still so unsafe for people in other parts of this i mean really still unsafe in the united states a lot of times too but horrendously unsafe in so many other parts of the world yeah uh this is not one that i have had a chance to catch up with which is i didn't even realize it was from the same director as how to survive a plague which is probably top 10 docs of all time for me so that's that gives me impetus to check it out as soon as possible uh brian anything else you want to say about welcome to chechnya no, I, I, I highly recommend it. And it, I, here's a film I was disappointed that didn't get nominated because if I thought this would be a good film to have be in that top five. But, you know, um, yeah, it, it, it's really good. It's, it's just kind of hard at times to watch. But, yeah. you know, very solid, well-made film. Yeah. Yeah. Summer? I haven't seen it. It sounds very important, but, like, I'll have to be in the appropriate mindset. You know, yeah. it's not um, going to be like the David Byrne one, which I could just watch tonight. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Welcome to Chechnya is on HBO Max alongside that David Byrne film. So you can watch them both in a double feature. Bring yourself up and then bring yourself down. Um, <laughs> the next film I, w- I would also qualify as important. Uh, it is also a Best Documentary Feature nominee. It is Jen's number three and it is my number two. And it is a epic film called collective and uh this is a film about uh, it takes place in romania uh it's about a there's a nightclub fire in 2015 in a club called collective and it kills 27 people and injures 180 and a lot of things went wrong to make this fire so deadly a lack of fire exits proper healthy health and safety inspections like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong and all of these people died but what this film is about is how the people of Romania and how the Romanian government sort of deal with the fallout from it and what they learn is is that a lot of the deaths that took place from this nightclub fire took place because the hospitals did not have proper safety precautions in place people were getting secondary infections and they were dying that way and so very preventable deaths happened. They, instead of like farming some of the patients out to other countries with better medical facilities, they didn't do it because of the cost. And uh, it, bas- it, it follows uh, one of the local uh, uh, newspapers that is basically, it's a sports, actually, it's a sports paper that is really the paper that is covering this. And uh, it follows a, a journalist named Tolentan who is sort of like the main guy who is covering this and runs that sports paper. And they're going after this place called Hexi Pharma, which is, uh, which is the company that was supposed to have supplied the disinfectants that were supposed to keep these hospitals clean, but they weren't really disinfectant at all. They, they didn't do anything. And um, it, it follows so many different people. You get, to, you get to meet the new minister of health. 
who is like younger and idealistic and really wants to reform, uh, you know, the Romanian health system. You get to meet one of the survivors of the fire who is a visual artist and who is creating this sort of like uh, art piece around what happened. It's just so, it's so expansive in the way it covers this, this incident. And this is a good example of like, like we were talking earlier about a lot of films have such a linear sort of like documentary narrative about them. This one has so many different irons in the fire and it's juggling them all so beautifully. It, it's just, it's, it's a really important film. And uh, I was engrossed from, from moment one and uh, you know, and it's expansive, but it's still under two hours. It's not like, you know, it's not hoop dreams length. Like it's, it's got that epic feel to it and it's still under two hours. And I think that's, I think that's an accomplishment uh, for any filmmaker. And yeah, I, I love, love, love this film. Uh, Jen. Yeah. This, this is one of those films that I started to hear buzz about uh, early last year and I kept missing it at every festival miss it miss it miss it miss it and then it hadn't been picked up by a distributor yet so I couldn't there's just no way to, to get it um but I had the feeling that it was something really special from the way that people who saw it had talked about it and then finally Magnolia got it um thankfully and then we got to show it for the screening series and I got I got to do a Q&A with the, the director but it's just one of those um films where like somebody gets in on the ground uh, right as the story is unfolding and it's just like how was he there to capture to capture all of this the other thing that's it's cra that's crazy is that footage of the fire do you remember that yeah. oh my god yeah. it's horrifying it's probably the scariest footage of yeah, an indoor fire that i've ever seen in my life but yeah i mean just the the amount of corruption going on in their hospital system and in their government in general it's it's very entrenched and you just sort of like these politicians you know that are trying to clean things up it's just like is this ever going to get any better i it's just it feels you know kind of hopeless but also at the same time there's definitely people who care you know the, yeah. the journalist who's writing the articles and and um, the politician that gets in and is trying to to straighten things up there for a while but it, it's it, it's just definitely one of my favorite films of the yeah. year it doesn't end on an optimistic note either like you it's not one of these things where it's like oh okay they've seen the error of their ways things are getting better it right. ends on a very opposite note where it's like oh okay things are devolving yeah. things are just yeah. devolving now and uh yeah I, it's just a powerful film have, have brian have you and summer seen this one i saw it Summer. Um, it was it it was a near miss for me. I mean, just because there were so many good films, and again, this it is so heavy. Um, yeah. and like, I mean, like I'll have to wait a special night to watch Welcome to Chechnya. Um, it's like the uh, the footage inside the club, the way it slowly dawns on people, and then it's like, oh, now it's too late. The fire is like, how, you know, and you're witnessing all of this in a way that makes you feel like you're there is just really really unnerving and then the kind of wire-esque approach to like interested civilians um politicians journalists like the way all like you said like there's spokes on a wheel kind of around this central story um is really well put together but yeah it's a difficult watch yeah 
I, uh, I really liked it. And quite frankly, it'd probably be 11 for me, 12. Yeah. And like when I was doing my top 10, I didn't want to have like all heavy, st- you know, there's a lot of factors that go into the top 10. But, you know, I got to be honest, uh, the thing that I think made it fall out of the top 10 for me, I thought like, uh, and I talk a lot about the structure again, I just felt it was boring structurally. I felt like it was the same conference room, like the same, like it just, so it got kind of tired for me visually and it was kind of dragged it, it, know, it almost, visually for me. It almost to me had this sort of almost like all the president's men quality where it's like, it is so about like investigative journalism. And it yeah. is so, it's so about, it's just, it's it's so by the book in the way it just focuses on like that. I get what you're saying, but like, to me, that was just fascinating. Like, yeah. like just watching all of that. And even though, you know, like you said, I agree, like it is very sort of cloistered in where it takes place. Yeah, I felt cla- a lot it was of- claustrophobic feeling for me. And I don't know, it just, it just like, I, it, it could totally be in my top 10, but it just looked other things I felt were better that made it. Yeah. But I really liked it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's, it's an awesome film and it's available on uh, VOD for anybody who wants to check it out. And again, it is up for best documentary feature. Honestly, at this point, I think it probably has, I'm pro- it's probably in my mind, the front runner. Um, but who knows? it's also up for um, best foreign language film too. It was up for two. So this and foreign language, which that doesn't happen a lot. So uh, mm. that was interesting. So, which makes me think it'll probably, it's not going to win foreign language because another round will. So it'll, they'll probably, it'll probably win best documentary um, or it'll split the vote. And um, that takes us to the top of the heap. Uh, our number one film, some of which are alone, some of which ha- uh, people have on multiple lists and um, the first film is Brian's number one film. Sure. Uh, it's called Love Mobile. And um, it's probably, in summary, I, you know of this film. It, it, I would say it's more obscure, You'd probably hard to see. Um, it played at Slam Dance, and that's how I got to see it. And I just loved it. It's about. Um, the prostitutes who rent these trailer homes along a long stretch of highway in rural Germany. It's actually like a highway that's forested on both, heavily forested on both sides. So these women uh, park in these kind of like, um, like off the highway and they turn their lights on and sit in the front and wait for customers all night. And they rented their trailers from a, a woman who's their, I guess, landlord, and she's pretty tough, no nonsense. And I think she was, if I recall, she's an ex-prostitute herself, so she knows the business. So she, you see a lot of her going around, like, where's my rent? And they're having, struggling paying the rent. But what, uh, and you see the lives of these uh, prostitutes with their clients. Um, I was amazed at some of the access that this filmmaker had, and some of these subjects were okay being filmed, having intimate moments with, these women. Uh, but then there's kind of like another story that happens. There's a, a killer on the loose who murdered one of the prostitutes along this stretch of highway. And of course that causes alarm in the rest of uh, an unease amongst the community. And I just, it, the, for me, the film had just it, all the elements of a great documentary, you know, story, characters, subjects, um, really nicely shot. Um, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I don't know, Summer, you saw it too. Would it you? was one of my favorite films that we programmed last year, for sure. I think the other one is going to come up later in this conversation. 
Um, and I would have picked it, but I don't, it hasn't been released yet online, right? I think it will be soon. I, I emailed the director and she said um, they chose not to do um, streaming due to the content and oh. to protect the subjects a little, but she said she'd be happy to, if you go to her website, email her um, to send you a link to watch it for free if you'd like. Wow, yeah. that is so interesting because the access with these, you know, the people who are hiring these sex workers, um, there's no blurred faces. There's not any anonymity. They're just right there. They um, operate not too far from a big Volkswagen factory. So it's like all these guys that work at VW, I guess, that come out there. Um, but yeah, like no sex anonymity. Sex worker is the word I was looking for. And you just get process. like all <laughs> up in this access of these trailers and it's yeah. like, okay. Um, and, the, and they're mostly women from Eastern Europe and uh, other countries that are coming, you know, so there's a little element of their kind of taken advantage of, would you say? Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're being exploited for sure on yeah. some level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This uh, this this sounded interesting, but then it got to the whole point about the killer on the, the killer list. The killer is like, the really cool piece. now. Yeah, that's wow. what really made it amazing. Because uh, then, I mean, there's already a feeling of tension and fear, and then ease, that yeah. comes in. Somebody's missing, and they've been killed, like by a loose killer. Like what? Now it's like yeah. a whole other. And these women there. have families that they need to take it, so it's kind of like they have to do something. You know what I mean? So it's like putting yourself out there to possibly be, you know, murdered. You know, it's just yeah. I don't. It was a really great, great film. And, and the I fact that so many of them more. stay after that's happening just shows a lack of other options. You know, they're really grappling with like, what else can I do right now? Like, there's really nowhere else for them to go. Um, so and this film got heavy play uh, international film festivals. I don't think it got much play in the U.S. at all. Yeah. Jen, did you see this one? I haven't, but it, it sounds uh, like something that I would really, really like. Yeah. Yeah, it, it sounds fascinating. So that's a love mobile. Um, yeah, I, I will email the filmmaker and see if I can check it yeah, out. That's very um, cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, this takes it to my number one film, which let's just be clear, guys. I'm pissed off that I'm the only person who has this on their list because <laughs> this is not only my favorite documentary of the year, it's my favorite overall film of the year and maybe my favorite doc of the past several years. And it's the second time this filmmaker's She's only directed two films, but they've both been at the top of my list the years they were out. And so the director is Kristen Johnson and the film is Dick Johnson is Dead. And I, to say that I adore this film would be an understatement. So essentially uh, it's directed by Kristen Johnson. Uh, her father is diagnosed with dementia and she decides that she is going, she knows that he's about to start going on a decline. So she decides that she's going to start she's going to make this documentary about him, which revolves around these series of death recreations where she's basically putting him in these situations where he's dying over and over again, by all these bizarre ways, like a piano falling on his head, falling down the stairs. And what essentially what she's trying to do is, I mean, she's, she's dealing, what's so fascinating, she's dealing with her own feelings about the impending loss of her father and she's trying to bond them together and connect them through something that she loves, which is filmmaking, and give them sort of this like living testament to sort of their relationship and his life. And it wouldn't work if Dick Johnson wasn't just the most likable 
like kind-hearted, like seemingly decent man. And he's so, it's just so likable that every time something bad happens, it just breaks your heart a little bit. And there are moments in the scene that just that stick with you, apart from the recreations, which are all really entertaining and really fabulous. But there are just moments that'll just break your heart. Like there's a moment where uh, they've gone out trick-or-treating and they've left him alone at a friend's place while they've gone out. And of course he has dementia. He's not used to the environment. And so he gets kind of lost and really scared in this place and doesn't know what's going on. And it's just this simple little moment where he's in the car with her afterwards. And, uh, and he just, it's this very passing line. And he just says something to her. It's like, it's like, your dad's not doing okay. And it's just the way he says it where I'm just like a puddle. I'm just a puddle. There's a great scene where he decides he wants to have his funeral before he dies. So they assemble all of his friends together and he's got this one friend, even though he knows that it's a fake funeral, just cannot get through it. He's so overwhelmed emotionally by it. And I don't know, I, every scene of this film worked for me. And I, I, I again, I just adore it from top to bottom. And I, I think it's a magical film. I think it's a lot of films this year have dealt with like dementia and Alzheimer's and memory loss. And I think this film d- does it justice and it really shows their relationship between her and her dad, which I think is, is really beautiful. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I think this is a, a really, really special film. Who else has seen it? Brian, why don't you kick us off? I liked it a lot too. Um it just didn't, I'd say it's in my top 15 probably as well. And I loved, I thought it was an interesting way to tell a story, a personal doc, like you were saying, um, uh, it's a very creative way of dealing with your parents growing older. And I liked it for my own uh, edification because I'm my short doc that I was talking about, it's a personal doc about my mother, you know, so it was good for me to see this, you know, yeah. different take on, doing a doc about someone very close to you uh and i love those dream sequences with the uh like when he's dancing with his wife and she's like a cardboard cut out like that was really magical um i really liked it it just again didn't make my top 10 it was it was great film yeah it's like collective it's like like you know you get pick and choose small things at and this she, point. And she's just, you know, she, her first film was called Camera Person. And she's, you know, yeah. Kristen Johnson is a documentary cinematographer. cinematographer. And so, you know, her first film was basically a lot of stuff that, you know, stuff from her life as a, as a DP and stuff that she'd shot. Very poetic. And this is, this is, I think very she's different. two for, yeah, she's two for two for me. I think she's just got a really interesting brain when it comes to like directing doc features. Uh, Summer, what did you think of this one? It's really creative. I've never seen anything quite like it, for sure. Um, I have a general problem with films about people's families or themselves. Like, Brian knows this, that I just have a knee-jerk response every time to, like, this is a fabulous home movie for you and your little family, but, like, why do I care about any of this? Like, I just... I it's really hard for me which is why for Circus of Books it was unusual that I liked that so much um I asked myself the same question about the one I'm making I'm like who's going to want to see this because it's I just my yeah family. I never yeah. yeah it's always a thing and then the other I issue I have with some films like this there's another one I saw recently that was um about someone's parents dying and 
it just feels like, you know, you've got this nice place in New York. You guys all have all this, like, it just feels so lucky. Like how nice. Yeah, she that does you get live to, in one fifth Avenue, it looks that like. You get to like nurse wow. your ailing father and this just feels like so first world problems, you know? Like, yeah, yeah I know you wrote, yeah. In my family, people are, yeah, I mean, not really, but like, you know, there's people who are dying in cars, like in their vehicle, you know? And I I'll just say when like, I saw where this she is why we can't have City. nice things. When I saw where she lived in New York City, it did shift a little for me, like, oh, she lives in 105th Avenue, unless they were just showing the exterior of the building and that's not where she, but I assume that is. And I was like, yeah, not that I want to say I don't feel bad, but like- Of course, I like, wow, no, I, I feel like a cynical bitch swanky. for saying any of this well, stuff. Well, I think- I know, I, think I know. I think yeah. those types of films are only as successful as your protagonist in the film. And I think Agreed. they, I think they really hit the, likable. They hit the jackpot, I think, with him. But like, I think I'm just the opposite in that I really respond to those films. Like my favorite doc of all time is Tarnation, which is all just about one man mm -hmm. and his family. And so like, I think I respond to those films really, really well, um, usually. And this one just hit all the right spots for me. And also, you know, my dad is, you know, reaching the age now where, I mean, he's fine mentally. He's, uh, you know, he's a hundred percent there, but we're reaching that point where it's like, I'm thinking about those things now. So these docs hit me a little bit differently than they might have 10 years ago. I agree. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just adored it. Jen. You know, this is one that uh, strangely didn't land for me. And I, I still don't know why I think, because uh, because I, I loved her previous film, uh, Camera Person, like uh, she accomplishes things in that film that I had never, I had never thought about a camera person's emotional connection to the subject. And then I, just, I watched that and it just blew me away. And then uh, I got to meet her. She's like one of the, my favorite people that I've ever met. Like when you meet her, you can see, how she has done the work that she has um she's a very present per who's a person who's very present in in the moment and um I was so I was disappointed that this one didn't hit me but I think I think I'm gonna go back and try to give it another chance just because it's been on so many best lists and so many people have loved it and I'm like maybe I just missed I missed it when I saw it yeah. I've been recommending it to people for sure. Like it's definitely approachable. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, because it is just so inventive and you're not going to see another doc like it. Um, okay. Uh, Dick Johnson is dead available on Netflix did not make the best documentary feature short list, which it, it was on everybody's list as a prediction. I'm like, they're not going to nominate this. This is not the type of film the documentary branch nominates. Um, but um, our next film is uh, my number five film and Jen's number one film. Am I starting? Yes. It's Time by Garrett Bradley, um, which I love. Uh, it's about a, a, a family um, who's, uh, it's a mom and six kids and then their dad's incarcerated. And uh, not surprisingly, his sentence, you know, is 60 years for a nonviolent offense. And I believe, I think he's in Angola, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Angola State Prison, which is Louisiana. Louisiana. Yeah. Yep. There's been other docs about that prison there. And uh, his wife raises all these kids by herself and then spends also a large chunk of time trying to get him out of jail. 
she's dedicated her life to trying to get him out of jail and um the look of this film the way that it's shot they use a bunch of archival from from when she was younger and the kids were younger um in the music the soundtrack i the it's which is kind of like new orleans jazz i think a little bit yeah it was gorgeous it was gorgeous and i was you know it's one of those films that happens to be pleasant to watch extremely artfully made and also like has a point which is that no one needs to serve 60 years in jail for not a nonviolent offense but he is because he's black and made the mistake of trying to rob a jail or rob a uh, bank when he was like 20 years old um so yeah this is definitely one of my favorites yeah this this one i i really really dug this one it was my number five pick it also was a best doc nominee today and uh again i think it's because she fox rich is so captive it's just so enjoyable to watch her and you know let's also say like she was part of that bank robbery too and also did some jail time as well yeah and so that this to follow her sort of basically realizing like okay i've got to turn my life around because of my kids and to see her go through that journey and really you know and really go from you know being someone who's serving jail time to being an activist and like someone who this you know it's just really inspiring and um like you said the the combination of sort of the archival footage and the black and white and the beautiful black and white photography that they do now I don't know it's just kind of got like it's it's kind of like a little poem in a way and uh I really really responded to it really well was happy to see it get nominated uh today as well uh Summer you saw this one I have not watched it yet it's been on my list similar to some of these other ones like just in the moods I'm normally in I'm more prone to a mucho mucho more kind of a night um sure. but I really want to see it um yeah I'm looking forward to when I'm in a mood to watch it. Yeah, Brian, I know that you weren't as high on this one as other folks were. Yeah, well, it made my top 10 for a hot second and then it came off. <laughs> um, I really did like, again, it's, it follows with Collective and Dick Johnson. It's, I did really like it. I, I agree wholeheartedly with what both of you said. Uh, it's gorgeous film. Um, I loved her motif with the, uh, where she kind of zooms in a little slowly and she used that camera technique throughout the whole film. And I just loved that. Um, you know, I, it's, I felt it could have been shorter though. To me, this was like a short film, like maybe a long short. Um, and it, again, it, it's just picking hairs at this point. I really liked it. I would, I would recommend it. Um, it's just unfortunately fell out of my top 10. Uh, yeah. I was really excited to see it. it. I didn't think it was as amazing as, um, you know, it's been getting so much press and stuff like that. So I was really excited. And I was sort of let down. I thought it, I wanted something more from it. I don't know what that is, but I felt like I really loved her short alone too, which you can watch on OpDocs. I love that film too, uh, which is I think kind of like a, uh, a companion piece to time. Um, yeah, great film. Yeah. Just didn't make my top ten, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's available on. Amazon. I look forward to seeing what she does next. Let me say that. Yeah, yeah. So check it out on Amazon if you want to. It's it's great, and it's eighty one minutes. Even though you thought it was a little too long, it a is. Little, it, I, I did. It's under I did. ninety I, minutes, which is great I, for a doc. And it's true. It it just it lagged a couple in some spots for me again. Like you know, this is yeah. a, a science here. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, well, that takes us to the next choice 
which um the the this this film is a place that I've been a couple of times, so that's exciting. It's Brian's number three and Summer's number one. Tell us about it, Summer. Jasper Mall. So this was another film um, we programmed last year for Slam Dance. It's about a dying mall in a small town in Alabama, um, and the guy who manages the mall is named Mike, and he's an Australian man that used to run a private zoo in Australia um, before kind of being run out of town, it seems like, and driven over here to where he's now managing this mall. Um, so that has like some slight Tiger King vibes to it before Tiger King was, an, was a thing. Um, but it's really slow and observational the way Brian loves um, and I tend to as well. And there's just these beautiful moments of um, elderly people speed walking through the mall early morning and just all these quiet moments um, that the mall experiences throughout a normal day. Somebody busts out with like a jukebox and you know there's just all these weird things and, and quirky qu characters that kind of occupy the space that make it um really fun plus you know malls i mean and this was pre-covid we programmed this january of last year so um but back then you know malls are kind of a dying thing especially in these small towns everybody's purchasing things online now um it's not the kind of uh, center of activity the way I know like in my teenage years we used to go hang out at the mall you know mall rats was a thing like there's it doesn't seem like there's that kind of mall culture now um so it's kind of a eulogy too I think as much of anything to that yeah uh Brian yeah I, I, it's fantastic I, I what I love about it I, I'm, I'm attracted to stories about once thriving things that are now decaying and how like there's no anchor store at this like there's nothing to draw people anymore there's no like commercial retail store there it's just like local people like i'm going to open a bookshop or a, a flower shop you know it's all a kind of junky shops now different, yeah. yeah it's nothing and um I, i'm really interested in how people relate to their environments where they work and live and how this was once a special place that you went to with your friends and now it's like a ghost town. Like it's literally like empty. And they, I remember they profile one woman who owned a flower shop and like her last days, you know, it's kind of just, there's a sadness to it. Yeah, it's, it's really great, a beautiful film. Something bittersweet yeah. about it, totally, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this film too. Um, I mean, look, you know, it's Alabama, so Roll Tide. And I have been to the Jasper Mall a couple of times, so it was interesting seeing that. Of course, it was not as uh, deserted uh, when I was there as it, as it sort of has become. Um, it reminded me somewhat, there was another film that came out this year, a doc called Other Music, which is about uh, the other music store in New York City. And it reminded me, they, they're kind of weird companion pieces because it's sort of about this, you know, it's about this hub and this place where people go for all these different reasons and kind of a, a kind of a eulogy to that sort of you know that lost uh sort of way of life um yeah uh jen did you see uh jasper mall i haven't but i am i'm very excited to see this and ask, just like very excited at the list of films that i haven't seen that exactly. they all sound amazing i wish i had time to watch them all now yeah i had a a, a deserted mall experience by accident one time I went over to the west side pavilion to see a movie at the landmark cinemas and it wasn't time for my movie yet so I went 
to peruse the mall, not knowing that they had shut half of it down. So here I am in this mall, and I was just like, I am in a ghost mall. I'm in, it was creepy, but also at the same time, I wished that all my friends were there to like experience the vibe of this. It was so interesting. So I had the same experience in Miss Jackson, Mississippi, I went to it and it was just, it was so depressing because nobody is in like, nobody's in, you might have three stores open in the whole like complex. Like it's in fact, the DMV was at the mall now. And um, I had to get out so quick. Cause I was like, this is just so like depressing. And my friend said, Oh, that used to be the mall to go to in the eighties. Like, and it still looked very eighties and I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be bulldozed. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I was a mall kid too. And, uh, there was an old abandoned mall in Birmingham called the Century Plaza that had been shut. When I first moved to Birmingham, it was still functional, but then it shut down a couple of years later, but you used to be able to sneak in. Like if, there okay. were ways that you could sneak in and just be <laughs> there in the old abandoned mall. It was wonderful. Um, Jasper Mall, Alabama representing twice on this list. There we go. Um, okay, that takes us to our final film that we're going to be discussing. It wasn't anybody's number one film, but it was the only film to appear on all four lists. It's Summer's number five, Brian's number four, my number four, and Jen's number two. So Jen, why don't you talk to us about it? Yeah, it's it's Boy State by uh, Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss. Um, I think these two are some of the best documentary filmmakers making films uh, now. Uh, and uh, I love their films and I loved that series that they did, The Family on Netflix. I don't know if any of you have have checked out their series but it's super creepy and awesome um it's about the washington religious subgroup that runs politics and oh, i did see all, that and it's all real yeah that was jesse moss um he's also making a documentary about mayor pete which is what he's working yeah, on now i yeah. just noticed that on yeah. imdb today i was like oh my god i can't wait for this this movie like totally snuck up on me i had a um I was scheduled to see something else at Sundance and couldn't get in. So I just went over to the the holiday where they do the press screenings and just went in to a movie, any movie that was starting and it was Boy State. And I hadn't really heard anything about it. And uh, it started and I was just like, oh my God, this is going to be dry as hell. Like it's just going to be dry as sand. And, uh, but then you know, once they introduce like who's going to be all the main characters and then really get into it, I was just totally fascinated by it. And um, also, I would vote this, well, of the 10 on my list, I would vote this the best shot movie, uh, best shot and edited doc of the year. Um, I got to do a, an, an interview with Jesse Moss and he told me that they based the look of this film on Son of Saul. And I was like, damn, that's why oh, it wow. looks so good. Because um, it's shot in a different aspect ratio than um, most films are. And um, I just, I love the ambition of that. You know, there's nothing wrong with being that ambitious for the look of your doc. And in fact, it's something you really got. There's so many documentaries that are so good I think you got to, as a doc filmmaker these days, you got to think about leveling up in some way. 
But this that's what I'm best. saying. Like a film should tell a story visually just as much as yeah. the subjects do. And people Absolutely. think you just turn the camera on and let it go run. Yeah. There's a lot of thought and that's what Absolutely. I like. Yeah, exactly. So that little piece you just told me about the aesthetic that he was going for, I love that. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a microcosm of this country. Like, yeah. oh, where could I go to hang out with a bunch of uh, privileged white boys, uh, privileged white high school boys, um, and find out what's going on with them? And uh, I don't know, to me, it just explains so much about our political system. It's like, if this, if Boys State is a feeder program for our political system, everything makes sense to me. Um, but then, you know, the kids who end up being like the major, the major players in it, they're, they're so inspiring. So it's like, if a lot of the kids are really basic and uh, have toxic masculinity going on, like already, the opposite side of that are some wonderful kids that I really do hope stay like go into politics because um it, you know they're like young AOCs I would just love to see them come in and just shake everything up but I'm really excited to hear what what all the rest of you thought of it yeah I I I love this film this for a while was my number one film and it sort of it just kind of waffled back and forth um yeah I I think it they really hit the jackpot on their subjects in this film. And I agree the way that it's shot. Like I just enjoy the way that they film the kids. Like they film the kids in such a weird way. Cause they're almost just like lounging back or like <laughs> laying on a couch. And like, it's so like they shoot them. I mean, they're basically just be kids, just be kids and we'll shoot you. And I, and I like that a lot. And yeah, like you said, like, this film is both this it both makes me dread American politics and have hope for American yes. politics because you get both of them in there. And now I'm like, I kind of want to see a documentary about boys stay every year <laughs> just to see what happens every year. Just keep going back. And someone do they have a girl? Did someone tell me they had a girl? There is, stay? There is a girl. Yeah, stay. That, I was thinking that would be great if you did a girl stay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I love this film too. And uh, you know, I'm surprised it didn't get a nomination today. Frankly, I think that's bizarre but you know I mean that's the doc branch of the academy uh Summer what do you think of this one yeah similarly to Jen when I started it I was like great a bunch of white dudes from Texas like and then it's I was so heartened you know early on in the process they have to they they separate them into two parties the federalists and the nationalists I think yeah and then they have to elect chairs that's their first act and I think they both elect people of color one of them is a is a disabled kid um too yeah. so that was that was surprising I was like oh okay these are their spokespeople that's fantastic good I'm surprised and uh and then like the guy who's running for governor though is saying openly like I'm just gonna lie I get the sense that these yeah. people are about abortion mm -hmm. so even though secretly like I'm not about that I'm gonna say I am and I'm like ah this is yeah. how it happens you know yeah, yeah. um and then the Steven Garza kid, though, is just the he's heart amazing. of the yeah. film. Um, so he's a child of uh, immigrant mom, and he'll be, I think, the first kid in his family to graduate from high school. He's really, really well-spoken and just um, but shy, too. And I'm following him on Twitter now, and I just can't wait to see what he does. Like, I'm like, this guy is definitely going to have a future. Um, and so just that it, that gave me so much hope. Yeah. Um, 
And even the guy who's like, oh, I'm about abortion now at, by the end is like, go Steven Garza, you know? So it's like, there is, there's cringe worthy moments, but then there's also a lot of heart and a lot of hope. Yeah. Brian? Great film, smart. It was really smart. Uh, I think uh, Jesse Moss, you know, they're great. Uh, it's really a great newish filmmaker. I really, he did the overnighters, am I correct? Yep. Yeah. Which yeah. I really like other than I had some issue with the whole big reveal at the end, the way that was marketed kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But this, I, I, this is a great, I loved it. It was a great film. Um, um, I was surprised by the outcome. I, I don't want to reveal anything for the listeners, but uh, I thought it was going to go um, a different direction, uh, kind of what Summer was talking about. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if I'm right on this, but it was kind of interesting. I don't feel like there were any women in this film, right? It was strictly whole male cast, even the work, like, and I kind of thought, I don't know if that was intentional. Or not Not a ton of grownups thought, either. The men that are letting, that are like interviewing them and stuff like that. But there doesn't seem like there's a lot of adult supervision or oversight. Yeah, like it's, right. it's really purely kid run, which is kind of It is strictly a male cast. Um, I liked, um, Boys State. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, you know, I like docs too, like we were saying earlier, like with older individuals, I also like them with younger. So that those two yeah. spectrums are always kind of good mm -hmm. with docs. And I was surprised it didn't get nominated either. Um, but the film drew me in right away. Um, I wasn't expecting, and this is another one of the film on my list where um, I like the subject matter kind of carried the film really nicely. Yeah. Really well-rounded film all around. Yeah, great, yeah. great job. Yeah, some interesting things in Texas because I just watched a documentary for South by Southwest called Kid Candidate. And, uh, and it's about a, an Amarillo kid in his early 20s who runs for city council. So a lot of young people getting active in politics in Texas. Maybe it's because of this program. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's been around for years. I was yeah. surprised how aggressive they were. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, they take it seriously, which is cool. Um, yeah, that's it. That's our, that's our list, everybody. Uh, round of applause from all of us to each other. Um, I'm going to run them down very quickly. I'm not going to, if you want to see who's got what at what place, you can go on Letterboxd and I'll have that all broken down, but I'm just going to name the titles from, uh, from when we started to now. We've got The Mole Agent, There Are No Fakes, My Psychedelic Love Story, Stray, The Bee Gees, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, Mayor, Bloody Nose Empty Pockets, My Octopus Teacher, John Lewis, Good Trouble, Father Soldier Son, Alabama Snake, Mucho Mucho Amor, The Truffle Hunters, Tread, Through the Night, Zappa, Crip Camp, American Utopia, Oliver Sacks, His Own Life, Some Kind of Heaven, Feels Good Man, Circus of Books, Welcome to Chechnya, Collective, Love Mobile, Dick Johnson is Dead, Time, Jasper Mall, and Boys State. What a what an eclectic mix of docs. Good list. I think yeah. I mean well I don't rounded. I don't want to brag everybody, but I think we kind of crushed it. <laughs> I think you know if 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 somebody uh, took our advice and watched all that all those docs, that would be a really good survey of 2020. It sure would. Um, you know, yeah, it's weird because sampling. I listen to a lot of like the end of the year wrap up podcasts all over the place, and no one ever does docs. Like no, it's like no one ever gives a crap enough to like only doc specific podcasts. Which yeah, few that's it. Yeah, and like no, and, yeah, and so that just drove me crazy. So it's like, god damn it, we're just gonna dive deep into some 2020 docs. Um, and only one film made 
all four of our lists, and that was yeah. Boise State. Okay, that wow. was it. That was it. And I mean, any honorable mentions I would have are already on here somewhere, um, already on the list somewhere. There isn't really yeah. anything else that. And that's what I mean by the sheer number of docs that are out there now is that there's four of us and hardly any overlap. I mean, yeah. it's absolutely crazy. And all the different lists that come out, like a lot of those don't have any overlap either. Yeah. Because there's so many insanely good documentaries. Yeah. There's so much content. And I thought I had seen almost, I'd been trying to watch as much as I could just in case it wasn't on my list, but it was on yours so I could discuss it. And still I have five films that I want to watch after we hang up here. Like, Me too. Yeah. Going to do some homework for the next week uh, or not homework, some makeup homework. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, Jen, Summer, Brian, thanks for joining me for this uh, for this uh, 2020 dissection. Thank you, Billy. Thank you. Thank it you. Fun. It was a lot it, of fun to talk to y'all. It was. Uh, Likewise. We'll, we'll have you all back for a future episode. Who knows what it'll be about? Um, yeah. Or maybe yeah, we'll just right. or maybe we'll just do docs every year. It'll be a standing doc roundtable. It better um, not be about Errol Morris because I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> He needs to prove. I wish I'd never said it. See, that's the problem when you admit something when you don't. Bird in Florida? <laughs> Have you seen Bird in Florida, Brian? I feel no. like you'd like that one. You like Florida? Right. You like? Yeah, Florida. you love Florida. So I do like Florida, but Check you know, I never was Gates of Heaven, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't like. I don't know. This. Oh wow. It's just not me. Fast, cheap, and yeah. out of control. None of We're these. We're just teasing you, Bryson. Bryson. I, I, I know. Yeah. I feel so, bad. Trust me. I'm like, what I'm am sure I missing? Each well, one of us. We we could we could. Uh, Heckle each one of us about something that one of us doesn't like that the rest of us do. I'm sure so. we could. Um, but <laughs> so personal. Ultimately, it's a very personal, yes. you know. All subjective. Absolutely. I think you're just waiting for Errol Morris to really, you know, <laughs> to come into his own, to like prove himself <laughs> as a filmmaker, and then you'll give him the chance. Um, okay. Not now, quite yet. That's right. Um, now for some quick housekeeping. Dropping Friday, March 19th is our discussion of the new film, Happily and the films we believe inspired it. And our guest is the impeccably delightful Dave Schilling, producer of the new YouTube series, Black Renaissance. Also keep an eye out for special festival coverage of the Miami Film Festival, South by Southwest and BFI Glare, all dropping throughout March and April. Please don't forget to rate review us on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to check us out on Letterboxd for all of our fabulously curated movie mixtapes, including a breakdown of our individual top 10 documentary lists. Again, thank you everybody for joining. Uh, this has been a delight. And uh, that's all she wrote. And that's our show. If you like what we're doing here on Movies with Gravy, the fastest, easiest, most awesome way to support us is via Patreon. You can do so at the $1, $5, $10, or $25 level, and you get all sorts of awesome perks, including weekly Patreon-exclusive mini-reviews, special interviews, early access to bonus content, and voting power to choose some of the films we discuss on the show. Visit patreon.com slash movieswithgravy and sign up, and help keep us doing what we're having an amazing time doing. That's patreon.com slash movieswithgravy. And make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other folks know you like us. You can follow us across the socials at movieswithgravy, and we hope you do. Movies with Gravy was conceived of, produced by, and hosted by me, Billy Ray Bruton, and the theme song is Country Roses by Flannery Miles and me, Billy Ray Bruton. And remember, movies are great, but they're better with gravy. Y'all come back now, you hear? Country.
country roses, blessed songs, mommy's here, daddy's gone. 